I want to say last spring, said, you know what, I'm getting into crypto for the first time. Again, I thought things were crazy then. I think they're crazy now. Bitcoin, listen, I like Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is math. And math has been around for thousands of years. And it, two plus two is going to equal four, and it will for the next 2,000 years. So I like the idea of investing in something that's reliable, consistent, honest, and 100% certain. So Bitcoin has appealed to me because it's a way for me to invest in certainty, where, again, I look at the difference between the Fed of 2013, the Fed of 2021. I, I'm going, how, how can this, do I want to have faith necessarily? I look at the difference between Trump and Biden. Do I want to have faith in that same reliability and consistency of human nature? And the linear nature of human nature, which we know is anything but that. You like Bitcoin at these prices? Um, I, I, listen. You got I, in what, oh, at about 10000 I I like Bitcoin as a portfolio diversifier. Everyone always asks me, what should I do with my portfolio? My employees say, I say, okay, listen, the only thing that I know for certain is I want to have 5% in gold, 5% in Bitcoin, 5% in cash, 5% in commodities at this point in time. I don't know what I want to do with the other 80%. <laughs> I want to wait and see what the Fed's going to do because what they do will have a big right. impact. Happy Bitcoin Tuesday, freaks. It's your boy, Matt O'Dell, here for another Citadel Dispatch. This is Citadel Dispatch 26 for you freaks keeping track at home. That's over six months straight of Bitcoin Tuesdays that we've shared together. Uh, and we have a extra special one this week focused on running your own node and using your own node and the trade-offs involved with that decision. Citadel Dispatch is an interactive live show about Bitcoin distributed systems, privacy, and open source software. Before we get started, I just wanted to do a big shout out to all the freaks who support the show and help keep it ad free. Um, that's the way I want to keep it. I want this show to be a show by the audience, for the audience, by Bitcoiners, for Bitcoiners. Um, and just in the spirit of open source in general, just have it available for all. So thank you for that. I couldn't do it without you. Uh, to the freaks who are joining us after the fact via the audio streams, um, that was Paul Tudor Jones, billionaire money guy on CNBC, talking about how he likes the coin, um, with Andrew Ross Sorkin, who hates the coin and has to constantly talk about it because his showrunners demand it because that's how they get engagement. Today, we will be focused on using and running a node. Um, I've done a couple polls on Twitter in the lead up to this. One was in April. Do you use your own Bitcoin node? Uh, there was 5,500 votes. 35%, 36% said yes, 36% no, 
said no. Almost 10% asked, what is a node? And 20% had zero conviction whatsoever and asked to see the answers. Um, I did another poll uh, yesterday. Similar question. 41% said yes. 35% said no. This time I put not sure as an option. 2.6% aren't even sure if they're running a node. Um, and 21% lacked the conviction and wanted to see the answers. So I think this conversation is more important than ever. Um, what is a Bitcoin node? Before we get started, a Bitcoin node to interact with the network, with the Bitcoin network, you need to use a Bitcoin node to do it. If you're not using your own node, you're using someone else's node. That means you have to trust them with both verifying the rules of the network and your privacy. So it's absolutely imperative if you want to be a sovereign Bitcoin Bitcoiner to use your own node. It is the way it is the way to ultimately use the Bitcoin network in the most trust minimized fashion possible. We are fortunate enough to have uh, contributors from most of the leading Bitcoin node projects. Uh, that includes Keto Miner from Noddle, uh, Zelko, and Likewo from Ronin Dojo. We have Rootsol and OpenOMS from Raspi Blitz. We have Matt Hill from Start9, and we have Taylor from MyNode. Um, this is a packed panel. Uh, we've never had this many people on a dispatch before. So please uh, work with us here as we, we go through this discussion. It is going to be a loaded discussion with a lot of opinions and a lot of moving pieces. So I just want to do a big thanks for the guests for joining us. Um, this is pretty exciting. Um, for our audio freaks, uh, they're going to have a little bit trouble following the voices. So what I want to do is on the screen here, I want to I want to do introductions from each person so that they can kind of figure out your voice. Um, and we'll start with Matt Hill. Matt, say hi to the freaks. What's up, freaks? Want a little bit more voice uh, example? Yeah, why don't you just why don't you guys just introduce your project as you go through as well? Uh, sure, we are Start Nine. Our primary product is Embassy OS. Uh, we sell it standalone. Um, you can also build from source. Uh, we also sell it as part of an Embassy, which is basically a Raspberry Pi in a box uh, with a little bit of branding on it, um, plug and play experience, and it is designed to be a graphical operating system for self-hosted software, generally speaking. So the fact that you are able to seamlessly run a Bitcoin node on Embassy um, is not unintentional, obviously. It was the first service we offered, but uh, our goals are a bit more broad than that. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. We have OpenOMS here. OpenOMS, you want to... OpenOMS is a repeat guest, uh, but just do a quick introduction for the freaks. Hi, all. Nice to be here again um, in the function of... Uh, a contributor to the Raspberry project headed by Rootso. And, um, you know, looking forward to the discussion. Thank you, uh, OpenOMS. Zelko, why don't you, Zelko's also a repeat guest. Welcome back, Zelko. Hey, what's up, brother? Appreciate you being here and, uh, and hosting this after uh, Miami. I know we talked about it, and it's cool to back, be actually doing it. Um, I'm glad that all these node projects are here. Uh, me and like, well, we are, we're here from Ronin Dojo. So the samurai focused, uh, full node project, uh, to give you all your privacy needs and, uh, and yeah, this, this will be fun. Thank you. Zelko. Rootsol, I met you in Miami. What's up, dude. 
Yeah, good to hear you again. Um, yeah, uh, it's Rutsal. I'm working with OpenOMS here uh, on the Raspberry Blitz. I'm kind of most of we call the maintainer or kind of a lead dev there. Uh, kind of started the project back with the uh, full more hack days. Uh, and it was always a platform to have a Bitcoin and Lightning node running on a Raspberry Pi. Uh, and uh, to set it up yourself, you can get all the parts from Amazon and, and build it yourself. So it's a hope on GitHub. It's a tutorial to follow. And more and more developed uh, into a little bit bigger platform. And yeah, it's, uh, it, I think it's uh, very community driven. So we have a lot of contributors who are kind of from those kind of events. The idea is coming a little bit more from an educational background and also kind of running and uh, optimizing to be a lightning routing node uh, from your home. Thank you, Rootsall. Likewo, return guest as well. What's going on, Likewo? And he is at a barbecue right now, so he might not be listening to us. Uh, we'll move on to Taylor from my node. How's it going, Taylor? Hey, it's going good. Um, so I'm Taylor from my node. <clears throat> I founded it maybe uh, it was 2019, early 2019. And I mean, like most of the other guests here, the goal is to kind of be a, a Bitcoin node and run, you know, self-hosted software so that you can run it in sort of like a, well, you can run it trustlessly and um, you can just build it yourself from scratch, but you can also buy one of our pre-built nodes and kind of take that route. But one of the goals when I originally started was basically enabling or creating an easier way for people to run all the awesome like open source software that's out there, right? Like there's a whole lot of awesome stuff that starts with Bitcoin as a foundation, builds on top of it with the Lightning Network, with um, mixing, with privacy tools. And a lot of people sort of are interested in that, but maybe uh, don't have the technical skills to do it and want to take an easier path to do that. So I really wanted to enable people to easily sort of run all this awesome open source software out there and uh, do it themselves and run it at their own home. Awesome. Thank you, Taylor, for that introduction. Uh, Likewo is back. Likewo. Say hey, how you guys doing? Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm here from Golden Dojo Project. I'm here to... Talk to everybody, all the no projects. I'm very glad everybody's here together and we can discuss, you know, what we're working on and why running a full node is important to everybody's privacy. And <clears throat> I like to talk about, you know, open source uh, licenses and what they mean to everybody. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We will definitely be discussing it. And um, I, I just wanted to, before we get to, I guess, and we have Keto Miner here. Keto Miner, return guest, say hi to the freaks. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Very happy to meet our uh, most most younger siblings. Uh, so I'm the founder and creator of the Nodo Full Node. And as I remember, we are the oldest one here probably right now. Uh, and we have a few firsts in our history, like first BTC pay in a box, first full Tor Node, full, first full disk encryption, and full first red setup in a node. Awesome. Um, to the new freaks, I mean, we have episodes already with uh, Zelko, uh, with Open Arms, with Likewo, with Keto Miner, uh, with Matt Hill's partner, Keegan. Um, so, I mean, we have episodes already on all these node projects except for my node. Um, so feel free to go back to the back catalog on that. That's at citadeldispatch.com. Or if you just type in Citadel Dispatch into your favorite podcast feed, um, all of those episodes will be there. 
Um, that includes some of the other conversations that we'll be having surrounding these node projects, including licenses. I mean, licenses is a conversation that we've had many times on Dispatch, which is why I think um, it's a particularly well-suited platform for this discussion we're about to have. Um, before we get started, since it's kind of early in the episode, it has been 26 Bitcoin Tuesdays in a row. Uh, that's over six months. Uh, next week, I am going to be off grid. So there will not be a Bitcoin. Tu well, Bitcoin Tuesday always happens no matter what, but there will not be a dispatch. I will not be joining you guys for Bitcoin Tuesday next week, but I will be returning the week after that. Um, so uh, a little bit bittersweet, but uh, if it makes you guys feel any better, I'm going to be having a very good time off grid. So um, a little R&R &R is needed. Um, so let's just uh, jump right into this. Uh, you know, I have uh, some key things I want to cover. Uh, you know, we already mentioned licenses. That is definitely going to be discussed. But I think before we jump into that, I would like to start with uh, trade-offs in general. I think just high-level trade-offs. I also have about 20 bullet points provided by 6102Bitcoin. Uh, so we're going to try and nail as many of those as we can nail and just kind of see where this discussion goes. Um, so, I mean, the way I look at it is I think the overwhelming majority of the world is not using a Bitcoin node currently. Um, I think the overwhelming majority of Bitcoiners aren't using a node currently. And I think a lot of them are intimidated. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, one of the things you hear a lot of is just run Bitcoin Core on a computer that you have lying around. Maybe uh, use Spectre or Sparrow with it on the same computer so then you can interact with the hardware wallet and that's definitely something you can do. Um, but if you want to level up your game and you want to use Lightning or you want to use CoinJoin and you want to have a dedicated 24-7 node, uh, then, then all of a sudden these projects that you guys are maintaining and improving really come into play and, and a lot of freaks uh, are kind of hit with a question, you know, which, which, which project do I use and what, is, what are the differences between those projects? Um, first and foremost, I like to say that the fact that that Bitcoiners have so many options today is absolutely uh, amazing. Uh, so, so cheers to all of you guys. I mean, if, even if you just go back a year, two years ago, um, there really weren't many options at all. Um, so it's really fantastic to see. Um, so, so with all that said, my first thought is, you know, you're a Bitcoiner, you're coming in, you're coming in, you're trying to decide which project you should use, which, which nodes you should run. I mean, in some cases, you might be running multiple different uh, nodes. Um, we can jump into that too. But I think the main thing people are, are asking themselves are what are the trade-offs? And I'm, I'm kind of curious how you guys approach uh, those trade-offs. Um, I, I guess, uh, who, who do we start off with here? You want to start, Selko? Yeah, sure. Um because we, I mean, I'm sure everyone else gets these questions as well, since there's so many options, you get new users all the time. Um, but I'm actually going to read from what Evan um, Claudus said, because he actually summed it up pretty well, and I agree with it. Uh, so he wrote that the best pre-built is uh, Nodal. For the best coins join, coin joins, you use Ronin. Uh, best uh, for more technical users in LN, uh, Lightning is Raspberry Blitz. Uh, best complete non-technical people, best for completely non-technical people is Umbro. Start nine if you want to self-host uh, different uh, privacy apps. 
And then MyNode is the best selection of uh, full-scale Bitcoin apps. I mean, I think that hit it pretty on point. I mean, there's always nuances, but I think that was pretty, pretty solid. Does anyone want to jump in here? Uh, maybe who's, open. Who's, oh yeah, hit us. What's Umbro? I mean, are they here? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, Umbro is not joining us today, um, and we've never had them on dispatch. So um, take that with as you will. Uh, hopefully, we will have them on the show at some time in the future. Um, I'm kind of curious on uh, Matt's opinion on on Zelko's uh, framing there. Well, I don't find any glaring uh, mistakes in that. And I was this, uh, did Evan say all this at the Fostum in Miami? Is that what you're referring to? Uh, no, he just posted, it was in a, a Telegram chat. Someone yeah. just kind of asked for a brief overview. I mean, I mean, it was, a, it's a super brief, like, yeah, new, well, like nuanced uh, response. So like, we can definitely dive into more. I mean, there's obviously a lot of different, um, a lot of differences between the projects. So, um, sure. so yeah, let yeah. me, let, yeah, I'll elaborate a little bit. So, you know, when we first came on the scene, um, February, 2019, this was at unconfiscatable, uh, we were immediately pegged as a plug and play Bitcoin node, uh, which was fine with us, right? We were at a, you know, Bitcoin maximalist conference and we were there for a reason. It's because we offered a plug and play Bitcoin node. Now our approach to that, uh, was a bit different um, than I think all of the other implementations here in that we were offering a full Bitcoin node on top of uh, our primary objective, which is a sort of generalized computing platform for running self-hosted software. Uh, Bitcoin just happens to be a piece of software that can be self-hosted, that should be self-hosted. Um, and so, you know, we sort of targeted the Bitcoin community as our initial target market um, and so didn't mind being pegged as, you know, a Bitcoin node. Um, and since then, we've done a lot of, you know, uh, kind of grassroots marketing, just talking on podcasts and whatnot to try to explain uh, that we are not that, right? We are very much trying to build a, like I said, DevOps in a box for grandma, uh, you know, with principles of zero command line ever and graphical configuration always. Um, and have now been somewhat pegged as the use the embassy if you want to do other things besides Bitcoin, which again, we're not upset about because we've actually pushed for this. But the reality is, is that most of our users uh, who have either purchased or built an embassy, their feedback has been that it was the easiest setup process that they've had. And let me rephrase that. It's not, I would not claim that the embassy is necessarily the easiest setup process. I think that all of these implementations are quite easy. Where embassy um, kind of shines through is in the um, maintenance process when it comes time to configure things and manage dependencies. Uh, because we've actually built a sort of computing platform um, you as a non-technical user can get in there and rather than SSHing in and editing a .com file or um, updating your OS and getting a bunch of bundled new apps, you can sort of, uh, you know, a la carte modularly install, uninstall and configure various services without uh, fucking it up, right? So it really is more of a, um, 
uh, I don't know, agile experience rather than a plug it in and everything works. It's like plug it in and there's nothing. You actually go in and install the things you want to install, configure them the way you want to configure them, fire them up, and the operating system facilitates that entire process. So I think the experience is just different. I don't think it's valid to say which is easier. I think they're all very easy. Uh, it's just a different approach. So yeah, I would agree with that. I, I don't think one is necessarily all that much easier to get started with if you're familiar with the typical process of you know setting up a Raspberry Pi. Like if you know how to flash an SD card and plug in an external drive, I think most of the you know node implementations are about as easy. Um, but I, I, you're probably correct, Matt. Um, with my node as of several months ago, you know we were very. It had a set of apps. It wasn't configurable. Um, it, but we've been migrating over the past you know two or three months to a, a much more modular approach as well. Because I agree with that. I think it's a lot better. And Raspberry Blitz probably has it too. I mean, they have all like the bonus scripts to go sort of install extra apps. There is a core set, but um, you know, you can kind of add on and build on top of that. And I, I think that's gonna be important because you know, statically having one set of software isn't gonna be as flexible for the users. And there's gonna be a huge variety of um, different types of users, I think, coming on board. And um, Matt, to your point early on about like why run a node, I, I think it's gonna get better and better over time as there's more software that relies on that like base Bitcoin foundation um, with, you know, the different chat apps and things that build, well, first you have Bitcoin and then on top of that, you can have Lightning that gives you sort of like a wallet plus, you know, a set of private keys that can like authenticate and do things. And then on top of that, you start having various services. Like you could use LND Hub and start sharing that functionality with other people, or you can have like Sphinx and start having like secure decentralized chat applications. And so I think that's going to be a big marketing drive to get people to start running their own node as you can have more and more functionality that people want to use. Because honestly, it's not like the best selling point in the world to the average Bitcoin user, I don't think. Like, hey, just run a node and validate your transactions. We all know that's important. A lot of people know that's important. But um, I, I don't think that's as good of a selling point for the average Bitcoin user. I think you're going to have to like sell them with other apps and and show them cool use cases of things to get more and more people onboarded into running their own node. Well, I mean, I might be a little bit biased, but I personally think that the easier sell is the privacy side. Um, I mean, that is a side that I've been more focused on, but I think it's something that's more tangible for people. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't really care about privacy, but I think most people understand why privacy is at least desired or important. Um, so if you tell them rightfully so that, you know, it's really hard to use Bitcoin privately if you're not using your own node, um, then they realize that's an actionable step that they that they have to take at some point in their Bitcoin upgrade journey. Um, this idea of, of verifying your transactions, while absolutely imperative for Bitcoiners to understand in the long tail, is is definitely a harder thing for people to grasp. Um, I I just... A key aspect here that I want it to be clear to the freaks is like, no matter what you use, everything in life has trade-offs, right? And one of the nice things, you know, trade-offs, by trade-offs, I mean pros and cons, right? And one of the nice things about options um, is that you're able to have all these different trade-off balances that these different projects take um, to find things that fit your current situation the best or your current threat model the best, Um 
open arms do you have some insight here in terms of like how freaks should should think about trade-offs when when they're thinking about you know which projects they want to run yeah well uh thank you wanted to comment on on, on the aspect of, of why we are doing this and why all these projects are using like a dedicated computer to start off with that because obviously running a node is already if you're running bitcoin core on your on your windows laptop it is running a running a node but it is much more difficult to do it privately and even more difficult or equally difficult to do it securely. So what is the single easiest and kind of most efficient thing to do is to take the things you are worried about from these two aspects and put it in a separate box with physical isolation. And, and on there, you would want to run a software which you can which you are able to audit, or at least people who you trust or know, or both, can um, you, you need to uh, rely on their work, which is the software running on it. So you need to be able to verify this you know, completely or as much as possible to be secure and also to trust that it's not leaking data you would you would want to avoid to be to be leaked. Um, and so that's why these um, projects are all in a in a separate box, and that's why we we all say that um, you know you should grab a Raspberry Pi. Well, why Raspberry Pi? We can even again go into that. Well, that's the most widely available and kind of reliable uh, single board computer available. But like Nodo doesn't use a Raspberry Pi, and most of the most of these softwares can run on other uh, single board computers as well. Uh, so that's not a given either. Um, so why, so why, why I'm working on Raspberry? I, I think it's just because I've, I've started to learn on it and it is a kind of a platform which just makes you tinker. So it might be, you might need to learn how to, how to use SSH, which is, which is just, uh, opening another door to kind of another world of computer science. <laughs> which, is, which makes you able to do anything. And then you will be able to do things which you weren't thinking that there is much more to a computer than clicking a button. So, I mean, that is an, an aspect. And, you know, we do have, we also, because of this kind of approach, we are on the cutting edge of, of, the, of the, especially the lightning related apps. So if you want to experiment, want to try things out, quick and also learn more then you know that's the best way to go but um i mean you know i absolutely see the the things um which the this are strong in other projects as well i run myself um running dojo because you know i think that is good to have the um kind of water whirlpool samurai wallet ecosystem just dedicated always on you know i don't I very rarely touch it, whereas I think of it my Raspberry every day, right? So it's kind of a, kind of uh, has its place, and I, I love that it's it is like that. And um, well, I, I would also for new users, new users who might not be that technical, not interested, you know, I would probably um, tell to kind of buy buy a nodal or you know give a go of the of the other node projects which are which doesn't need to kind of get go into the command line at all. 
Evet. <laughs> yeah, I, I can probably go next about trade-offs. And uh, one one thing our users probably noticed a lot of time is that we are slow uh, we in providing some upgrades. Uh, and uh, I would like to explain maybe why uh, we do that. We we want to provide the user experience with just works. And uh, we had too many cases of incompatibilities between like that particular version of Bitcoin D not running with that particular version of BTC Pay or LND not playing nice in some version with some other services. So we we are extensively testing everything we do. Uh, I'm running like 10 different nodules at home just to uh, test various combinations of the software. Uh, some also some internal choices like running MariaDB instead of Postgres for uh, BTC Pay because uh, uh, just because we run it for other services already um, and uh, MariaDB and MySQL uh, support in BTC Pay is uh, regularly broken and actually I'm <laughs> making PRs to fix it every time. Um, so yeah, we we are probably slow, but I'm hope that uh, people notice that usually when we put out an upgrade, everything works. Uh, it probably does 90% of the time because uh, I'm only me and uh, I make mistakes. Uh, but yeah, that that's one trade-off that you definitely have with the, the nodal. Does anyone yeah. here actually feel like... Uh, power users shouldn't be using multiple nodes like because i my my feeling is that you know what open said is this idea that you run multiple nodes for different purposes and you kind of segregate them so by design um you have some isolation there between the different things you're running i absolutely believe that people should run multiple nodes because uh you know all these node projects offer different applications you know they uh they offer a lot of lightning different applications uh bitcoin you know spectre all these different wallets that you can implement on a raspberry pi or rock pro pi but the problem is is users you know especially new users want to run everything that's on there and that's going to cause a lot of issues with these devices who are limited in you know processing and limited in ram so uh I always suggest that you don't run, try to run everything that's on there. You, you should have uh, a dedicated uh, Lightning Network uh, node that runs, you know, maybe it might node or whatever other offering there is that offers Lightning Network just to run that and run that. And you want to run, you know, Dojo, run it dedicated. Don't run everything together because you're going to you're gonna have instability issues in the end. And these are problems that you see on other projects where, you know, the, the, the systems, you know, runs out of RAM and, you know, people have to reboot ever so often. So... You know, it's, it's, it's not a problem to run all these different devices. They're small enough. They don't make sounds. You know, they're, you can have, you can stack them up and then keep them in a closet somewhere and just, you know, keep them dedicated. Don't, don't try to run everything because, you know, it's not, it's going to run into issues. That's my, that's my suggestion. Yeah, I, I would add to that as much as I appreciate what Start9 is doing with the embassy. Uh, I believe that self-hosting services like uh, uh, files or mails or chat or anything else uh, shouldn't be mixed with your money. Like, would you use your bank to store anything else that your money? Probably not. So do the same with your Bitcoin. Have one device only for your Bitcoin and another device for everything else. Yeah, I, I somewhat agree with that as well. Um, like, I mean, I know my node, we have BTC pay server, but 
at the same time, like if you're really going to go run like a huge store off of that, um, I, I wouldn't run an online store on my main MyNode device, right? I, I would sort of, you know, probably go get a, you know, run a server somewhere or rent a VPS or something. Um, so I think it depends on the type of application. And I agree that, you know, run what you care about. Don't immediately go flip on every on switch as cool as it might seem. Um, cause you're just going to end up having it go slow and run into trouble. And especially when it comes to publicly accessible services. Um, now if it's based on your lightning node, I think that's probably okay. But, um, I, I wouldn't want to start running other servers on my device that, you know, is also my, my Bitcoin node, because, um, I think you're just opening up the door for potential security vulnerabilities and keeping it limited to, to just the apps that you use is probably a good idea. Yeah, and at the very least, reverse proxy or tuner or VPN or use IP Tor or services like that to, to connect back to your node, never expose your own IP address. Um, yeah, I guess I should probably jump in and comment here since we're the, the largest uh, violators of this, of this uh, <laughs> principle of not sort of mixing your money with your data with your passwords. So in principle, we agree. Uh, I think it is better to uh, bifurcate your money, especially when it comes to Lightning, since the money is living on the node uh, from, you know, some more maybe benign things, maybe some less secure things that you might be self-hosting. Um, so just a little bit of kind of overview of where we're at currently. Uh, I, I believe we have 15 services on our marketplace. Uh, about half of them are not in any way, shape or form related to Bitcoin. Um, I'm running all 15 of them. Uh, now, this includes Bitcoin Core, it includes Bitcoin Proxy, which is a wrapper for Bitcoin Core that we wrote that sort of supercharges a pruned node, which is how we're able to run all of the various Lightning services that we offer against a pruned node. Um, so uh, Lightning, Bitcoin, uh, somewhat hungry applications. Uh, we just launched Matrix, which can also be quite hungry. Mastodon can be quite hungry. Uh, I am running all of those as are most of our customers uh, in parallel at the same time on a four gigabyte high with a 128 gigabyte micro SD card as the primary storage, which was a mistake. And we are now fixing that in O3O where we will have external drives. Um, and we're operating at about 50% capacity over Tor always, right? There is no port forwarding. There is no static IP required. Absolutely everything on the embassy right out of the box works over Tor v3. You can also connect to your embassy and all your services over uh, LAN, over .local with SSL enabled because your embassy spins up its own root certificate authority. Um, and so all of this is, you know, I, just, I mentioned that to just to speak to uh, your point about not insecurely accessing your embassy. Um, but basically today, in short, with 15 services running in parallel on a Pi 4 with 128 gigabyte micro SD, it is smooth as butter. Um, we know that that is not going to scale, and we acknowledge the potential uh, sort of security vulnerability that could come about from, you know, poor management of keeping your money and your passwords on the same device. But uh, our solution to that um, is to run multiple, right? We encourage our customers to get another embassy. Uh, or to get one of the other implementations that are on the show, which we promote, by the way, all the time, uh, and say that they're not mutually exclusive. It's perfectly fine for you to get uh, a node or a minor or a raspy blitz and or, or a number like 
hate to say on this show right now, but we do recommend these things and then say, hey, use your embassy for, for other stuff. Um, and lastly, I'll just add one more thing, which is that uh, embassy's modular architecture allows you to, for instance, run uh, an LND node or a C Lightning node on your embassy that's actually pointing to a full Bitcoin node running on your nodal. Uh, so you, they don't need to be on the same box, right? You can go into the settings of your LND and tell it to point to a Bitcoin node that's running on the LAN of your home. Uh, and so you could, you could actually bifurcate Bitcoin and LND if you wanted. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense specifically because if you're, if you're using multiple nodes, uh, the main additional burden or cost, uh, besides, you know, the actual, uh, device, which will run you, you know, the hardware will run you about 200 to $300, um, is, is really bandwidth, right? Cause if, if you're actually running multiple nodes and you're not having them point at each other, um, you're basically just doubling up your bandwidth costs or tripling up your bandwidth costs. I would add that, um, while you get additional benefits from running, you know, multiple implementations in terms of minimizing trust or, or using different implementations based on the trade-off balances you seek, um, you know, there's an argument to be made to even running, you know, two start nines, right? If, you know, one is for non-Bitcoin data and one is for Bitcoin data. So I, I don't, I don't know necessarily, um, or like two Raspberry blitzes, right? One for lightning and one for join market. Um, I, I, I don't, I I don't think it's mutually exclusive that they have to necessarily be different implementations, even if you're running multiple nodes. And that will only improve the numbers of running Bitcoin nodes anyway. Um, Bitcoin Q and A saying in the chat that he's killed more SD cards than Matt Odell's had hot dinners. Um, you know, I've had a lot of hot dinners, so. We'll see about that. Um, so does anyone else have any more comments on trade-offs before we move on to the next layer of this discussion? No, let's send it. Well, Zelko's got a one-track mind. Um, so uh, <laughs> the next topic that we want to hit here is uh, licenses, specifically in terms of open source licenses versus source viewable licenses versus closed source licenses. Um, versus non-software licenses. Non-software licenses. Um, Zelko is uh, itching for this discussion to start. So Zelko, why don't you start us off and then we'll take it from there. Sure. Uh, I'll give like a, an overlay. I, I think it's important to, for us, for the community, and um, just, I mean, obviously like for nodes, but I mean, all software, especially when we're talking about Bitcoin, like, what was Bitcoin about? What's the ethos about? Um, that free open source software is where all this came from, right? The cypherpunk movement. Um, if that isn't what we're going for and that isn't what's happening, right? Things don't get better. I mean, we had a great, great discussion today um, from, uh, from Root Zoll and some of the guys from his team literally contributing to Umbro despite or like trying to contribute, trying to help fix a security flaw. Um, and that doesn't, that that's like a, a unique thing, right. To the false community, 
right? I mean, you don't see contributors outside from Google trying to like contribute to Google and get their patches put in. Like that's not something that happens. But on the reverse end, when we're talking about free open source software, you know, uh, I can contribute to my node or I could contribute to uh, to uh, Raspberry Blitz or anybody can come and contribute. Like I said, I've had open noms come and help. Um, Evan tried to help and I denied him. Um, but yeah, I uh, I also already told Open Noms that I'm going to uh, deny his uh, join market um, his join market uh, PR. But you know, the end it's of the day, yeah, it's, it's still a guard tactical act. Yeah, you're, you're not getting it in. I'm letting you know it's it's already denied. <laughs> but but yeah, like that. I mean, I, I think we skate around this idea of open source. Oh, that just means that the source is open and viewable. Like that's not, that's not what open source means. Um, so I'm, what I'm kind of curious about, right. Is um, what, like what license or how does everyone in this, in this group right now, what do you view as uh, open source? And then what do you view as not open source or, you know, like what, what's your definitions? Cause I think that, uh, I think that that definition is clearly really important. I mean, uh, I know Umbrella's not here. They had the opportunity to defend themselves. But one thing that irritates me with that is uh, is on their site, it says free, uh, free and open source software. And they claim it like that because the software is doesn't cost anything and their source is viewable, but they're not using a actual, they're not even using a software license, but they're also not using anything that is remotely false. So the, that kind of uh, misrepresentation is, uh, is critical for me. But um, maybe, uh, maybe Rudzel, you want to jump into what, you, what your take is on that? Well, maybe, maybe we could start by going through every project and saying which license uh, they have. Yeah, that's uh, OK. Yeah, so Ronan Dojo, we use the AGPL. Um, and what that basically does is it's open source, but it's a copy left. So the only um, aspect of, of that is that it protects the open source nature of the code. So anybody can fork it and copy it, but they need to make sure that they still have that um, AGPL uh, license moving forward. So they can take the code, do whatever they want with it. They can sell, they can make, you know, they can sell the code, they can do whatever they want but then it still needs to remain AGPL. They can't take it and then flip onto a copyright license and deny uh, people to view the code. Oh man, I just uh, gotta fucking uh, say something right now. I can't fucking take it. All right, any project that puts free software on their page and wants to think that it's free, it's not free. Nice, it's, you know, open source, when you're talking about free open source software, you're not talking about free as in price. You can have this piece of software for free. It means that you can have this piece of software and you're able to modify it however you want. You can modify it to, to, to not have it control you so you can control it. And you can modify it so you can give it to your neighbor so you can pass it on to your friends and say, hey, listen, I added, you know, I added boobs to this software. Here you go. Use it, buddy. Okay, it's all good. You don't have to worry about that. Projects shouldn't put free open source software unless they mean real freedom. That's all I'm saying right now. I'm fucking pissed. Thank you. 
Thank you. Uh, um, because I was asked about the uh, Rootsol here from Respublitz, because I was asked about the uh, what is open source, the basic, from, from the definition, there are kind of three basic freedoms that, that are important that come from the open source uh, definition that was kind of done I, years ago. Uh, first of all, it's, it's, it's the source code, source code available, of course, that you can have the source code. It's, it's open there for everybody to, to see and verify. So that, that's very, very important. It's not just some binary blob or something, or it's some the source, source code is really, when it's on GitHub, that's first good thing. But there's also the, uh, the freedom of uh, modifying the code. So you, you, you should have the freedom to, to take the code and, and, and really whatever you think it's, it's appropriate is to, to change on it. And, um, and very important with this com is, is the combination of free redistribution. So, um, for example, some projects just have their, their code on GitHub and they allow you to, to um, download it to your computer and maybe modify it for yourself on your own computer. But it's very important, and this is the freedom then of community, is that, you, that everybody is free to redistribute these modifications to, uh, to the public again and have this freedom. And those are the kind of three basic things, the open source, so the open code, the modification and then the free redistribution of this modification. So there's a lot of more little details there, but basically those those are the ones. The Raspberry Blitz project decided to go with the MIT license, which is the open source license that also the Bitcoin Core code uh, is using. It's a very, very permissive license. So uh, for example, compare it with the GPL kind of license and it doesn't have this copy left. So it doesn't, even if you do a modification, it even gives you the freedom not to do not to publish it again uh, under an uh, as open source. So there is, um, and then you can even change uh, some things. So, so MIT, MIT project could change, for example, you can just fork it and you can, could, could change it even to a GPL, for example. So it gives you a little bit more freedom. In the end, it says, do what you want with the code. Um, but it just puts a little paragraph in there that says, oh, use it as it is. Uh, we don't give any warranty about it because some most of the times there isn't even a company behind that that you could somebody do uh, make warranty claims or something so it just gives you a little bit of legal protection there that you don't get uh, personally kind of uh, people don't legal don't go with a lawyer uh, uh, behind you or something so that's at least a good good legal shield there mm -hmm. um, and and one thing I want to add, I want to add here because we're talking licenses if you don't uh, the good thing is with an MIT or real open source license the ownership of code means that the community is owning the code there is not a single entity that has has more rights on the code there so there is no 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 single ownership there is not the single person or a single company that has ownership on this code this is very important when we talk about self-sovereignty because self-sovereignty really means you you are, have the freedom you really own your shit it's really your stuff and and this is really something when you really want why we are doing all this journey run a node be self-sovereign i think it's very important to consider maybe you just start your journey with something else, but every node project that's out there is cool to start. Running a node is, is important. But if you really want to go down the road for the self-sovereignship, then I think really, uh, really look, looking out for real open source uh, code is, is very, very much important. And just because this ownership of code is important, those projects that not have these three freedoms, it would be interesting to know 
what kind of company you are or what kind of project you are because if there's not if the code is not belonging to the community there is some entity that has some ownership uh, on this code and would be interesting in the in the uh, in because of transparency if people use those node projects to know who is behind that who has still a little bit more control here on the software that are running for transparency reasons and to understand what kind of product you are using that would be also be interested uh, for to hear from the to hear from the other projects. Uh, really great insight, all uh, there. I, I just want to jump in real quick before handing it off to Keto. Um, the, the two main considered you know, free open source licenses are MIT and GPL, as uh, Rootsall mentioned. Um, MIT is way more permissive. With MIT, um, you could even theoretically take the code and then fork it and put it into your closed source project. Um, with GPL, uh, the distinction is that you have to keep it GPL after the fact. You cannot take that GPL code and then and then put it into a closed source project without opening up uh, your code. Um, just for the freaks, just to make that clear. Correct. Keto. Yeah, so uh, exactly what I, I wanted to mention that issue about the GPL as well, because we, we basically started with the unlicensed, which I believe is the only cypherpunk compatible license, which is basically a public domain. Uh, one thing uh, people are probably not aware of, uh, I, I spent some time re reading the FSF website and, uh, and the Open Source Initiative website before, before joining this call today. And basically, if you don't have a license on your project, it's not free. Uh, you don't guarantee the three or four, depending who you ask, freedoms to the users. So the unlicensed was a very good way to say, fuck everyone, you just take our stuff and do whatever you want with it. Uh, then we started talking with uh, uh, potential investors and other people, and we wanted something a little more serious than the unlicensed. So basically, the choice was between the BSD two clause, three clause, or MIT licenses, and we ended up going with the MIT license. Uh, I have to admit, it's heavily influenced by Raspberry Blitz. Uh, I just looked around what the other did who didn't go with GPL, and MIT looked like the, the best option for us. So yeah, currently we, we use the MIT license. But that being said, uh, I don't totally share, uh, and we had a, a heated argument on Twitter in DMs with Zerko the other day, uh, that FOSS is the only way to go. I think for what we are doing, if you can check what actual code is running on your device, it's good enough. It's not perfect, but it's good enough. Uh, especially since we are talking about a bunch of shell scripts and interpreted languages, there is no binaries. Uh, it's only some scripts which everybody with uh, six months of uh, programming knowledge can read and understand uh, and verify what it's doing. So I, I believe, of course, if you can go with FOSS, uh, go for it, but uh, being able to read the actual code that runs on your device is probably good enough. And also, uh, having the source code on a GitHub repository doesn't guarantee at all that is the actual code running on your device. Uh, and the same applies to any Android or iPhone app. Uh, publishing the, the source code doesn't 
mean that the code that you actually will find on the Play Store and on the App Store is the code that you've seen on the repository. Okay, real quick. So the only thing that I'm going to say is that, I mean, you, you can have your point um, about the whether it needs to be source viewable or whatever for nodes that are just running a bunch of uh, shell scripts. But um, at the end of the day, right, we shouldn't be falsely advertising um, what it is, right, that, that our license is. So, like, I shouldn't be saying, like, if I'm... If I'm using the same uh, license that Umbrella is, like I'm not going to go and say, "Oh, I'm free and open source," and said, "No, you're not free and open source." So, and the my only issue with it isn't necessarily what you're saying. My issue with the whole idea is 100% that um, it changes the mindset of the community, and that's I think that's why AGPL has become more popular, right? Because it's copy lefting, it's forcing people to remain open source. Um, maybe not as permissive as MIT, but when you start to get more and more people that close it down and shut it down, right, and it's becoming more and more accepted in the Bitcoin community, that's when it becomes a problem. So I think that um, the false advertising, you know, not owning, not owning up to what it is that your license is, um, again, I, like if that's someone's choice, like that's someone's choice and the market will decide whether people should be running it or not. Um, but at the end of the day, right, like trying to falsely like claim that you're something that you're not is not ethical, not good to go. There's a lot of issues with doing pull requests and everything else. I know we talked about in DMs, but, you know, a lot of that is unethical stuff that shouldn't be happening since it's already breaking the license. So, that, I mean, that's just part of, of it. But um, that's my take is that, you know, don't don't, don't yeah, yeah, and I, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, don't call yourself uh, free and open source if you're using a license, which is uh, obviously not. And just fucking go to the open source initiative website, see the list of licenses and pick one. It's that easy. 100%. Okay. Um, Taylor or Matt, who wants yeah, to go? Yeah, I'll go. Um, so, well, on the marketing side of things, I, that, that's kind of one other thing that... Uh, umbral does that has bothered me a little bit their whole like become bitcoin thing i feel like they're just sort of like it's probably good marketing on their end but i feel like it's also just sort of disingenuous like they're saying there is nobody else like this is what you do to to you know be a bitcoin user but there's so much more variety than that and so many more options that i just have always felt like that's a little bit disingenuous but um so go going back to the license i chose um it uh, First of all, let me start off by saying the license I chose was a bad decision. I picked it one random morning because I needed something and I was like, okay, I kind of want to start a company around this. So what should I pick? And I, I chose a license that um, was the, it's the Creative Commons ones and it, it didn't allow redistribution. And at the time, my interpretation of redistribution was what some other licenses call production use. And so, I, I don't know, I didn't think much about it. Somebody commented like way back at the beginning, like, hey, you shouldn't use this license. And I basically said, oh yeah, like it's, uh, it's this isn't my intent, but unfortunately at the time I, I, didn't, um, I didn't change it. So I, I've since added some custom modifications, but honestly, so I, I'll probably come across maybe as the bad guy here, but I think there are reasons to use non fully open source licenses 
Um, I think some of it could be protection. I've, we've seen some like examples in the past where like um, NVK with cold card, like it gets forked and, you know, the fork gets VC funding from what I've heard. And it's basically just a clone. And then none of that revenue goes back to the founders. The VC investments aren't going to the like creative individuals who launched that project initially. Right. And I think that is who should be benefiting the most. Like I, I don't want the VC funds or, you know, Google coming in or some huge tech company coming in, like scooping up like open source code that Bitcoiners created, throwing only a marketing budget at it and then starting to like trick Bitcoin users saying like, just here's this one click way to go run a Bitcoin node, but be malicious and, you know, run a Bcash node or something instead. Right. I, I think it, it because we are much smaller than some of those large companies. It hasn't happened yet, but I think it's a concern as Bitcoin starts growing. You're going to see more and more, you know, projects that are fully open source get forked and potentially uh, large companies or entities throw marketing budgets at it and start tricking or confusing users to the point where um, people can be malicious. And I don't know the perfect way to protect from that, but I think it's a it's a risk going forward. I mean, we've seen it just with Bitcoin forks like Bitcoin Cash was I feel like some of that is is problematic that people go and start saying dishonest things or they fork the code and say, well, we're really Bitcoin instead. It causes confusion, especially among new users. I mean, um, experienced Bitcoin users understand what's going on. I think they get it. But like when you go to Bitcoin.com and you click buy and you're not getting Bitcoin, that's a problem. Um, and, and I don't know if like open source licenses are the only way to like or licensing is the only underneath uh, underlying cause there. But I think um, it, we could potentially sort of help out that way. And again, going back to like the founders, I don't know, they're the creative people that are making the progress. They deserve the benefits and not other, you know, VC funds or large tech companies. So I, I think there's um, a huge opportunity for improvement in some like middle ground type licenses. The one that I've been looking at a lot and I really want to switch to, I haven't done it yet, is the business source license. It basically says like, it's, it's open source after a point in time and you can kind of, it, it's, you're allowed to redistribute it. You're allowed to fork it. You're allowed to use it for personal use. The problem with the, the Umbral license and the one that I'd started with was um, that it, it, it isn't a software license, right? So it doesn't go into like what happens when you fork the project. Um, like there is, it just, you're kind of not allowed to, but like also you put it on GitHub. So like, of course you're expecting people to force the, fork the project and, um, like submit pull requests and things like that. So I, I think the business source license is is a good middle ground. Um, I know some popular people within like the open source community have, you know, maybe they don't fully endorse it, but they do like it. And I think it, it sort of helps provide that middle ground of being able to run a company around a project, which a lot of new users also, I think, enjoy and benefit from. They like knowing that there is a person that they're buying a, a product from. They enter into like sort of a contract or a purchase with some entity knowing, look, there is, uh, there's another person out there that can help support this. Like I can go to a website and, you know, send an email and say, I've got a problem. I need some help. I think a lot of people are comfortable with that approach. And um, I, that's why I think sort of these middle ground licenses of, you know, it is, it's open source, but at the same time, um, it, it gives a company sort of a, a heads up short term like advantage to be able to build on it and get that sustainability. Because if it's just open source, like you always are sort of 
like the founder can just kind of go away and, you know, not help out or not support you. So I don't know if other people want to comment. Yeah, but... you, 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 you could also go with a dual license like most commercial open source projects do. So, I mean, you hit, you hit um, an interesting point there that I do want to discuss uh, next, which is monetization. But before we continue, um, we have Matt Hill here from Start9. I mean, Start9 and MyNode have uh, the most restrictive licenses as, of the projects that are here with us today. Um, I mean, Umbral keeps getting brought up. I would say that Umbral probably has the most disingenuous marketing around it. I don't think Start9 or MyNode um, really pretend to be uh, free open source projects. Um, but I'm curious on Matt's opinion here before we move on from this discussion. Yeah, thanks. Um, so licensing for us uh, was not approached trivially. Uh, it was a serious topic of discussion in the early days of the company. We browsed many licenses, we had long discussions, and ultimately wrote our own uh, license that borrowed from a few of the ones that were out there. Um, we view licensing as a means to an end, uh, not as an end in itself. Um, our goal is to create a new computing paradigm that will rival and eventually destroy the centralized, trusted, hosted model of the internet today. Um, that is our goal. And so we view licensing as one tool in the toolbox to um, reach that goal. And at the time, uh, we looked at what the various trade-offs were for different licensing approaches and determined that the benefits of a fully FOSS license. And so first of all, before I continue, let me say that honesty here is critical, uh, that we have in never way and will in never way misrepresent our product, uh, our license uh, or our goals to our users, uh, to our investors um, or anybody else. So um, our goals uh, with our license were to, um, I forget who it was earlier, stated the, the sort of three slash four freedoms of an open source, fully free and open source license. Uh, one is that the source is available. Um, obviously we viewed this as critical. It was basically a non-starter. Um, in the first couple months, our source code was closed source, uh, strictly for security reasons uh, and because nobody was using our software. So we wanted to make sure that it was good and at least good enough. Uh, we know that the community can find bugs and that in the long run, having it open is actually more secure, but we started with a closed source, uh, you know, no license, we were just closed. Uh, and then we opened it up once we had our licensing strategy um, ironed out. Uh, we think that it's critical. However, I do want to mention that making the source code available for purposes of auditability was actually not the primary motivation for us open uh, making our source code available. Okay, I won't say open source. We need some definitions around these things so that we can have a nuanced conversation and not argue semantics. But for we opened up our code base, not primarily for the purpose so that people could audit it, because realistically, you know, we probably could have gone after some of the most trusted people in the industry and said, hey, come audit our code. People trust you. They know you'll never lie to them audit it, and then tell everyone that it's fine, and probably still build a big business. So we didn't necessarily view uh, the open source as a necessity to build great software and a big business. 
Um, but we felt that it was better. So it was a nice benefit. The primary reason that we open sourced our code was to protect ourselves against coercion from potential antagonists, right? So we did not want a three-letter agency walking into our office and saying, great product you've got here, build in a back door, and oh, here's a gag order. By open sourcing the code, uh, we were strategically protecting ourselves against that type of uh, attack. So that was the main reason. Second reason was for auditability and, and because it's the right thing to do, and that's that. Um, now, second one, modification. Um, we, you know, the primary purpose of having a license that enables modification is so that you can get community contributions. Um, that is the, the primary reason, right? It's like you have limited capacity and you want help from others, so your license should allow others to help you. Uh, and our license does, right? Our license, in short, uh, grants, grants the right to access, audit, copy, modify, compile, or distribute the source code or modifications to the source code. So we have created a license that allows people to fork our code, uh, make it better, and open up a pull request, and et cetera. And we have had multiple contributors from the open source community come in and contribute. Um, so that has been valuable. Uh, the third one, distribution. Uh, this one gets a little bit of an asterisk because it's what exactly are you distributing, right? The purpose of allowing distribution in a license is that it acts as an, as an insurance policy against the upstream project. So for example, if you make modifications to the, to the embassy OS source code and we're like, no, we're not merging that. We don't like that, but it's like super important and critical and we've just gone evil and your inability to distribute that code basically means that the project is dead or hijacked. And so the ability to distribute modifications of the code is an insurance policy against the original team that built it. Um, if there's more to it, please let me know, but that's sort of how I see that. Um, and so what we do is we found an interesting little middle ground there um, to accomplish our goals is that we allow the distribution, the redistribution of our source code. So you can fork our code, make modifications to it, and distribute it to all your friends and family. The only thing that we prohibit is the distribution of the compiled code, of the object code, or of an, another device running the modifications that you made, essentially preventing you from commercializing uh, our work. Um, and that is the fourth thing is the commercialization and commercialization of open source software, I think acts as an incentive for numbers two and three, right? It's like if you give people the right to commercialize your code, then you are incentivizing them to contribute to your code and distribute your code. But if you don't need their contributions and you don't necessarily want their distributions because you're trying to build a business, then commercialization becomes the way that you, in a way, disincentivize those things. So that's a huge trade-off. We were like, crap, okay, if we prohibit people from commercializing our code, then we are going to definitely uh, prohibit, or not prohibit, but disincentivize people from distributing our code because they can only distribute it as source code, which is not super valuable to grandma. Uh, and two, we are partially, maybe to some degree, disincentivizing modifications because 
Now the only reason someone would want to modify our code is to contribute to the upstream repo or to modify it for their own personal use. But they're definitely not going to modify it so that they can make money off of it because we've prohibited making money off of it. So we sort of said, okay, we get it. We're, we're not going to get as many community contributions as we otherwise would. However, we have an incredible large team of developers in-house. And so we felt that at this point in our history, and this can change by the way, right? This is an evolving thing for us. But at this point in our history, we felt that we had the uh, skills and knowledge and muscle to build everything that we wanted to build. And that the diminishing returns of adding more community developers had basically already been reached, right? Like if 10 developers showed up today and we're just like, how can we help? 40, you know, full time, as much as you need, everything. I couldn't keep them busy because most of what we're building right now has to exist in just a couple of brains because it's still in the early architectural days. I don't, we can't put that many open source developers to work. So we accepted the trade-off and we said, all right, in the early days, it's more important for us to protect uh, what we think is a awesome platform and a great business. And over time, if we start to go, oh my God, this thing's getting huge and it's becoming critical to, to earth, right? cross your fingers, we can only hope, then yes, we may reconsider our licensing and blow the top off and let anything go if the trade-offs are there. So I just want to make it clear to everybody that our decision to use a non-FOSS license was not taken lightly. It was taken extremely strategically uh, and is always open to reconsideration depending on it's a, the license's ability to contribute to our eventual goal of upending the bullshit centralized system that has come to dominate this planet. Thank you. That's all. Yeah. Uh, the, the only thing I wanted to add is um, I think one of the biggest differences between some of the projects that don't like uh, Start9 or Umbrella is starting out a company with a clear intent of business right i mean like obviously it sounds like you guys are took your licensing very serious um and that a lot of that comes from people who uh are trying to start a major business and a major future and it sounds like you want to protect it um my my counter argument to that and to some of what taylor was saying about you know protecting your stuff and worrying about you know vc funding and whatever right at the end of the day um all that is is competition right it's it's hey someone took my code they made it and did this other stuff some of it's better some of it's not but it's it's competition and no two people no two companies or teams or whatever are going to have the same exact vision so uh you know like uh evan always like makes a joke that or open arms makes a joke that he's going to fork ronin and put joining box in there and that right there is going to completely split the user base or it's going to have very little people on his fork and I'm going to maintain all mine. Or maybe he adds something like super cool and beneficial. And as long as it's open source, I can take it right back. So like to me, competition is, um, it, it comes from that false nature. And then the false nature also is what helps people come back and contribute and help each other and uh, make, make things better. Um, 
you know, and obviously it sounds like people are still doing that with start nine. I think that's probably because they see a good vision with your guys, uh, business model and your companies, the way that you guys are moving forward, uh, which I think there's something to say about the actual idea that you guys are putting forward of self-hosting sovereign apps. I think that's pretty cool. Um, but I think that when it comes down to it, right? Like I don't care so much if someone forks my code, um, even if I was, you know, top dog and, a, and Ronan Dojo is, you know, making millions of dollars a year, if someone were to take the code, like they're going to, that's only incentive for me to make it better. You know, it's, I can cry about it or I can say, all right, cool. Like you, you forked it. Now you're selling it. That's cool. All right. Well, what are you doing different? And no one's going to know your code better than you. So they can try to fork it. They can try to do whatever they want. Um, but Hey, like I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to find out what you're doing different. And if it's better, I'm going to take it. And if it's not better, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to make something even better, cooler, faster, run better. I don't know. Whatever I'm going to do is going to be better because competition's in my nature. All I'm going to do is destroy you. So like if you're going to fork the code, like I'm going to end you. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, like when I say end you, if you're going to fork my code and try to compete against me, you know, like if I was an NVK, not, not that we want to use this, but it's a popular uh, talking point. If I was NVK, I wouldn't have changed my license. I would have said, screw it. Let's let's battle. Like, let's fight. And then I would have made my shit so much better. And it would have been the end of that, you know. Um, but that's just me. I'm not saying what he did. I mean, yeah, I am saying it was a cop out. <laughs> but um, I, think that, I think that that's got to be our mindset because that's what it is. You know, like we are... Most of us didn't start these node projects because we wanted to get rich. Um, most of us started with this, like, hey, I want to give back to the community. I know that I know 100% that's a fact for OpenNOMS and, uh, and Rootzel for Raspberry Blitz. I know, Taylor, you started that way as well. I'm sure, Keto, you started that way over at Nodal. Um, and I think it's a new era of nodes that are going to come in. I don't think start nine, you're going to be the, the last one. I don't think umbrella is going to be the last one. I think VCs are going to see it as an opportunity to come in and, you know, start a company that they can sell. And I don't think any VCs want to touch any true VCs want to touch something that's not proprietary. And so, yeah, is that more work on the, uh, the node, the node software developers. Yeah, absolutely. Like that means that we're not going to get that funding because they don't want open source or at least in that open source nature. Um, so yeah, like I, I don't really care so much about VC funding cause that's not why I did it. I did it to give back and give tools to the community. Um, is it sustainable? I mean, that's sustainability is completely up to, to the developers, right? Like what business model are you going to run? What business model are you going to do? that is going to be able to sustain yourself and your team while growing. Um, and that is the trick. And that's how you guys end up doing it. Um, but that was just my like final thoughts on all of it. Extre extremely well put Zelko. I'm just going to jump in here real quick before I let Matt respond. Um, I, I, I just, first of all, you know, NVK is a friend and he's been on the pod many times. He's been on dispatch many times. Um, and I've told him point blank on dispatch exactly what you just said. Um, so, so that the, this is not something that is being like talked behind his back or whatnot. Um, and I just want to reiterate something that Zelko just said is, is in this world of censorship resistance, uh, specifically state resistance, 
Um, you know, free open source software is extremely viral and censorship resistant because the code outlives any of the individual contributors. Um, and I feel like it's a point that is, is not really stated enough. And I just wanted to uh, make that clear to the freaks. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so bullish on Bitcoin as a project as a whole, um, because, you know, extremely grateful for all the contributors we have to, to Bitcoin. Uh, but it's bigger than any of them individually. And the code continues on. Yeah, yeah that. I mean, that was a good point. And Diverter actually said something that really hit that point home. Uh, I mean, he used the Ronin Dojo team for whatever reason, but he said, uh, yeah, if like the whole Ronin Dojo team died, you know, tomorrow, right, someone could fork our project and it would live on, you know, uh, and that like it goes right with your point. I think that's that's one of the most important things, you know, I mean, look at Bitcoin Core, right? Um, but yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. You know, maybe oh, yeah. I, maybe I can jump in. Not sure. So first, yeah. go go for it. Yeah, um, just want to drop some 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 ideas here because we were talking about free and having licenses, and you have ownership that you're you're keeping property here. You get a license or interesting thing. There's a sender in there. Um, the sensor ring kind of part okay that should be just a bad joke but um in the end it's i don't want to come across that um, um that that uh, it, everything has to be free and there's there, no business to make or something maybe take a look open source is not young um, and there was even this mentioning from from umbral dev like oh open source is 30 year old we maybe need to do something different here to have sustainable projects but that's not really true um we look at the examples that were named like uh, like Redis switch to non-open source or MongoDB or, or MariaDB. Redis is still in, in, its, in its core. It is still uh, open source, um, but they have a module that they put a little bit different license on. And this is kind of an extra service they need for enterprise kind of things. So this is where then they maybe see their opportunity. So they do this on the side. Same thing is for MariaDB, which are coming the business source license idea from. They still, MariaDB, uh, the database is still open source. There's just some, some extra programs on the side you need for enterprise use that they change the license a bit. So those things can be discussed if you have a core product that's open source and you maybe have something for special enterprises to use and you make, make there a different license. That's discussable. Um, but, but again, we're talking about full node projects here. And, and we really have to, to, to think about, when we, especially about Bitcoin. And then uh, Bitcoin is so important to have this freedom to fork. Uh, and, and how you can make money, again, is, is, is um, look at open source projects. For example, the MongoDB, it was, it was, was an example that switched to, um, to non-open source license to, uh, to protect against being exploited by those big companies. MongoDB made $100 million revenue still being when they were open source, but they switched to non-open source to make more money. So this was sustainable. It was just an idea from the CEO of this company um, to, to make more money. <laughs> and it's, it's fair, but okay, do it. But, but again, it's not that, uh, that, that you have to have this um, uh, idea. If I'm open source, I will starve. Uh, you can build business models around your, your, your thing. Build, for example, build a strong trademark. This is, for example, what, uh, um, what Firefox uh, is, for, is, is, is. Firefox is a trademark. This is owned by, uh, by, by a foundation. Um, and what you can do is um, 
is really do license deals still. So for example, Umbral was telling they don't want to change to open source because they want to do license deals. You can still make license deals if somebody wants to put on their project comes with Umbral. This is a trademark and to put this on your product, you can make a license deal while having the code completely open source. Sure, somebody can then take the code, call it something else, and 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 make money with this. It's, this is a danger. But again, especially a project that's so good at marketing like Umbral, I don't personally get why they don't they trust their marketing and to build up their brand while they give out their code for free. Um, and, and, and we'll be open source and they spare them this complete mess that, that, that is, gets produced. Because also something to remember, if you have, um, if you're a small company, when a big company wants to use your code or copy your idea, they will do it in two weeks or something. They put their development department there and they will just see, oh, this works this way. Yeah, okay, we reprogram this again. And they will just outcompete you on that way anyway. So this idea of, oh, I have to protect my little code here I have against those big people that want to exploit me. If they come for you, they first of all, they will outlaw you, they will outdevelop you. That's not a problem. The thing what you do is really build up this a good community brand, a good really real brand people put their trust in at least that you, that you have a good good leadership on this open source project. And this is something then you can, of course, monetize in some ways still. So I just want to put those ideas out. It's not about open source uh, communism and you cannot make money out of it or something. Really, um, see really where it's where it's reasonable. And if you do your own licenses, really, um, here comes the point. You, you, you no, don't roll your own license because in the end, the when you really can't get into a conflict, the lawyers will earn more than the open source developers on this thing. Uh, because it's this is so costly. If you get in those details, you have to pay big lawyers or whatever. If somebody comes for you on that, you will maybe have, will not have the 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 money to defend that. Um, um, so go with a standard license is really something to 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 recommend. And especially if if you don't um, again, if you give up this 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 ownership thinking, you spare a lot of problems because normally with a with if you, if you now have contributors, you would need with everybody would normally need to sign some special agreement or something that this code is now gifted to the company. And especially who is this company? Is this well-defined? And all those problems. You, again, you will pay more on lawyers in the end than on open source developers. Yeah, I, I think you basically said everything I wanted to say. <laughs> but uh, one thing, yeah, I, I fully agree that the, there is a history in the Bitcoin world, like reinventing the wheel. Uh, don't invent your own license. It's like inventing your own cryptographic cipher. You will probably do a big mess and end up in a very bad situation. Uh, and look at all the open source projects that monetize very well while having a GPO or BSD to close license. Right. I think, I, I think that's why, though, that it depends on the business models. And I, I agree with a lot of what you just said, but I think depending on the type of company you are, it may or may not work. Um, I think it's easier to have some of that work at a small scale. I think if you're a huge company, probably not so much. I mean, um, imagine if like in the early days, I, I, people are going to hate this example, but in the early days of Microsoft, like I, I don't think they would have grown if people just had access to all of their source code. And I'm not saying that was necessarily the right or wrong, wrong thing to do. But if you think about the economic impact of the people that were hired and the onboarding that did just for people running personal computers, there's a net benefit from it. And I think um, the fact that that company was able to grow and hire people and do the marketing and get people into like 
having the mindset of it's okay for me to have like a computer in my house and it's not some you know crazy nerdy thing that only a handful of people use. I think there's definitely been lots of benefits and in, in companies that existed that wouldn't have been able to exist as open source. I think like but but on the flip side, if you look at Bitcoin, it has to be like if you look at you know some of these other projects, they have to be, and that's why I think it's it's not a you know every software project must be FOSS type world. I think you know there's definitely sort of a, a spectrum of types of projects that can use different licenses, and I, I think exploring a middle ground it could be a very valid thing. Um, and I think a lot of people would like to see more sort of middle ground type licenses where it's the the community is encouraged to you know fork the code, redistribute things, but there are some limitations on like a much larger company just taking it and benefiting it and you know running with misleading marketing. Um, I think it would be okay to put some protections in like or update licenses to put in some protections for those type of situations. Like, I guess the example that I, I think about um, would be like, if you went to a, a world where everything was totally, like there, there literally were no intellectual property rights. Um, everything was sort of the FOSS model for all work that anyone had done. I don't think economies would sort of survive that type of world if like everyone who invested in a design for a new airplane or car or whatever, if it had to be open source and another manufacturer could just pick it up, the idea of only placing value on physical goods and not intellectual goods, I think is sort of misleading. Well, you're mentioning Microsoft, which is basically the first company that built their business model only on being closed source. Until then, all the operating system came with the source code. Uh, that's why I prize the fact of being source available very much because until the Microsoft era, everything came with the source code and you would be you were able to audit it and modify it for your own use as much as you wanted. Um, so yeah, maybe Microsoft wouldn't grow that much as a company if it was open source, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I for what? I agree with you. I think it's fantastic software developer. I would love the fact, like if every software I purchased, you know, came with source code, I could edit it and use it, you know, for personal use, update it, change it. That's, that's fantastic. But I don't think um, the industry would have progressed as fast if companies like Microsoft or Apple hadn't existed. And I, maybe you can argue that you think that's not good or good or whatever, or it changed the perception of people's use of software and computers because it was a lot less open. But um, I, I think there, I don't know, I just feel like there have been net benefits in the, but not totally all good. I'm not saying all good or all bad. I'm saying there have been net benefits from um, some different business models. And yeah, like one of the comments from Ideas Are Like Flames, the, the, this is what I, I'm really sort of pretty much fundamentally against. People will go say information wants to be free. And I fundamentally disagree with that. I think there are valid arguments for intellectual property rights and say if you're like an architect and you design a house the fact that you can't sell designs or you can't sell concepts to other people to go implement or manufacture i think is just a fundamentally like wrong perspective you always need to stay to defend that right sorry sorry if it's funny you mentioned airplanes actually because I I worked closely to Airbus in some time of my career and 
As you might know, Airbus is selling airplanes to China and the only way to sell to China is to give them all the plans to build things themselves. Uh, and actually, Chinese are totally unable to build even screws up to specs. So the screws are shipped from Europe to China because they are not able to make them. Uh, so I think, really think there are other ways to monetize than protect your IP. Just right. be better. May I, may I jump back in here too? Um, so to reiterate something before and in light of the conversation that's happened since, um, I think everyone here can probably agree that that licensing itself, right? This idea that if you have this license, you're sort of good and moral and you're going to win. And if you have that license, you're bad and evil and you're not going to win. I don't think that anyone would make that statement that I think what we're arguing here is strategy. We're talking about licensing as a strategy to achieve an end. And I think we all want the same ends here. There's a reason we're in Bitcoin. There's a reason we're building do-it-yourself self-hosted software and Bitcoin nodes. It's because we want to create this free world. Um, and so we are taking different strategies. And I appreciate this discussion because, like I said, our internal conversation is ongoing. And I can totally see a future where a different licensing strategy uh, becomes very important for us. Um, but when we decided on the license that we decided today, we took a look at the actual landscape that we were dealing with, both internally and externally. We evaluated our strengths, our weaknesses, we evaluated the state of the marketplace, uh, and we decided that at this moment in time, uh, the protection against the, you know, uh, first of all, Rutzel made some wonderful points, um, the protection against the big bad, you know, uh, companies that are great at marketing coming in and stealing all your stuff has largely been disproven by many projects. It has also been proven by many projects that it can happen. Um, first, you know, I can point to um, everyone will acknowledge that there are many FOSS projects out there that are scams, that are shit, or that go completely, you know, underdeveloped and just sort of die of obscurity. There are also many closed source, totally proprietary pieces of technology that have been built over the years that have advanced humanity, that have been a net positive for everybody. And so that alone, the statement alone that the good or evil aspect of this conversation is not contained to which license you choose. It's about what you build, who you build it for, how you build it. Um, and that licensing is a strategy towards that. And I am, you know, I and the rest of the Start9 team uh, are, you know, we lean very far towards the, you know, software should be totally free side. Um, but at this moment in time, to achieve our ends, we feel that it is more important to protect ourselves uh, in certain ways than to garner the benefits that would come along with blowing the roof off of our licensing. And um, that could change, right? So one point that you made, Rutzel, was that if they're coming after you, like if they identify that what you've done is valuable, then they'll just come in and do it. Um, I don't know if that applies here. I, I agree that in general that could be, a, a, that is usually a true statement, but something unique is happening here, right? So first of all, what we're doing is extremely complex. Um, I, I don't mean to over speak this, but like 
we are doing things that have never been done before. Um, Embassy OS is, is not a shell script that installs things, and that statement is in no way meant to diminish anything else. But it is extremely complex, uh, for, and it is full stack, right? It's all the way down to hardware and all the way up to application development. Uh, and I would challenge uh, some of those companies to catch up with us. I, I very much would, and I think that they would have a very hard time of it. Um, and so I'm less concerned about them stealing our tech than I am about them using their marketing power to steal our code that's already built, as in we are terrible marketers, okay? We're not humble. We do not have a good website. We do not have a super sexy, approachable, modern UI. Um, our stuff is dark, it is simple, and it, you know, it works, but we're not good at marketing, and we acknowledge that. So we felt that it was more important to protect ourselves on the marketing front than the tech front currently. Um, and, you know, uh, that could change. Uh, hopefully that, that will change someday um, and that the licensing strategy will adapt accordingly. Oh, can I just quickly comment on, on I mean, Matt, that's, that, that is great. And you, you continue to mention that, you know, it, it can change and I hope it will change. So basically, I, I've, I've been knowing a lot of people been approaching software development like this, that when it's ready, we will open source it. And yeah, I understand that you have not, not having um, the confidence to make it to, to focus on marketing for now. And that is, I mean, yeah, I might, I might misinterpreting your words, but uh, the, the point is not that. But what I'm trying trying to say, and that's partially replying to Taylor as well, that <laughs> there is no, it's practically impossible to enforce ownership on code which is published and we know that for this use case for bitcoin for people exercising their sovereignty it must be published so there is absolutely no point putting a, a license on it just for the show because it's despite or um in in <clears throat> very different from like an architect making a um a plan or like an artist you know unveiling their art it is a, a unique thing and that is that is the point of it that it is unique and shouldn't be shown un unless someone is you know paying for it and that is uh will be hanging on the wall or you know will be building up up their house but this is you know code is freely reproducible and it's just live lives by itself you create it and it does its job and for this reason and this is not photoshop this is not you know a, a, a video editor where you can do unique effects and and there is this kind of creative thing in it it's a tool which needs to be working the best and for it to work you need to be able to verify down to the letter and also you need to be able to modify and distribute it because that's the nature of how you know, Bitcoin does work, and that's the reassurance of the of the whole network down to the base. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to respond to that too. Um, so, you know, Bitcoin, using Bitcoin as an example of FOSS and how it works, um, is is a bit disingenuous, I think, because Bitcoin has a totally unique, heretofore unseen means of compensating those who uh, engage with it and participate with it. Right? It has a, a in, it has a currency built in. And so, you know, contributing to Bitcoin 
is adding value to Bitcoin. And if you hold Bitcoin, then you're adding value to yourself. So it has this sort of built-in incentive system that many projects have tried to replicate. Uh, I shouldn't say that. They haven't actually tried to replicate that. They've, they have used that same mechanism to enrich themselves at the expense of those who don't understand what they're doing. Um, and so we don't want to do that, right? Like, so we, we, we can't be Bitcoin, right? We could be FOSS, but we can't be Bitcoin. We will never get the kind of engagement uh, and growth that Bitcoin got because we don't have this built-in uh, economic incentive. Um, you know, one way that most, uh, I would argue, open source uh, software um, has monetized has been through hosting, right? So uh, take something like Bitwarden, which we offer on the embassy, which is a password manager. Um, Bitwarden built open source software, very good open source software, knowing in part that nobody would self-host it. Uh, because nobody uses the command line to install self-hosted software and hosts it, you know, and sets up port forwarding and static IPs and all the rest. People don't do that, right? And by people, I mean 99.9% .9 of the population. So they knew that they had a viable business, even with the source code being open, because they would charge people for hosting. And they've had a lot of success with that. Um, that's almost laughably uh, oxymoronic with us, right? Like, we cannot <laughs> sell a product that is intended to augment self-hosting while offering hosting services. Like it, it's not only um, hypocritical, it's impossible. Like we couldn't do it. It, it would just be a laughable thing. Um, so like our ability to monetize um, is very limited, right? And so currently our business model is to sell a hardware device at a very reasonable markup. Uh, we have other ideas um, that we think are very viable of how to make money in the future, um, but None of them uh, are um, imply a trust in us, right? Like we, as a principle, we are building everything such that um, it is decentralized and trustless. And so the only way that we will ever be able to monetize within that type of paradigm is to uh, sell two things. Um, one is support, which has been a tried and true means of monetization, though not super lucrative, I would argue, except with maybe the exception of Red Hat and a few others that I'm probably not aware of. Um, but, you know, we certainly don't intend to make a boatload of money off of support or even fund a large team off of something like that. Um, but more and more, we have recognized that the only real way to make money in the decentralized future without building in your own uh, gas, shit coin, uh, and therefore destroying the project from the outset, is to sell convenience, right? Ultimately, you are selling convenience and community, right? You're making the entire experience of using your software and using your product as convenient as possible. So for us, for example, selling a physical embassy is not necessary. People can go buy the hardware at the hardware store and do it all themselves. But we think most people are too lazy to do that. And so we'll buy the device from us. And we intend to sort of reapply that basic insight over and over and over again. Um, maybe I'm getting a little bit off topic here. So just to bring it back to licensing, it's that, you know, we viewed our unique situation as that we don't have a ton of ways to monetize and that we need to protect the essential value proposition that we are making to the world, which is our advanced 
code and technology. So we are protecting that while also not breaking the principle of decentralization and trustlessness. Okay. Like, you know, okay. if we all if we all get hit by a bus, if we all get hit by a bus tomorrow, then the project is dead. Uh, yeah. because of our licensing in part. So that is a gamble that we are making currently and that I don't feel comfortable making forever, especially once we get old and gray. But for right now, I think that is a reasonable gamble because it is extremely unlikely to happen. So that's, that's, that's the way to, to monetize, is to continue to provide what you are providing. The support is one thing, but also the continuous development and the you know additional services you can uh, find out on top, like you know Bitwarden. That's a very good example. Um, you can do a lot of things, like you know you can you can openly make people um, pay for backup a backup solution, for example, or you know to provide them a domain, an IP address, or you know anything else which comes to your mind and it's it's infinite possibilities in that people yeah, pay for uh, service look you're we we agree we agree your your arguments are uh, not lost on us we know and like i said this is a conversation and you know there may come a day when there's enough convincing on one side that hey you know we will have more success and by success i mean like i said earlier reaching our goal building a better future. Now, we recognize two things that are inherent in that statement. One is that to get there, we're gonna need a lot of resources, okay? You don't get to do what we're trying to do without resources. Uh, and two, we are just people and we would like to live good, happy lives. Like I want to be rich, right? That is not something I am in any way ashamed to say. I would never trade that for my integrity or for you know adding that real value to the world like i would never sell somebody a pile of shit and say it's gold but if i'm selling gold i want to put that money in my pocket and then reinvest it into the future i want to build so we are here to make money for the right reasons at least i can only say that for myself i suppose but um there's been a couple comments in the side that i should address um I used the word lazy, and I think that has triggered a few people. Um, let's back off of the word lazy and, and just observe the fact that 99% of people in this world will not go assemble hardware from the hardware store, flash software from the internet, and run it. Our hypothesis is that people will um, buy a plug-and-play device that affords self-hosting so long as the experience is reminiscent of their current computing experience, right? Like plugging in an embassy, browsing the marketplace for services, installing them, running them, visiting the websites that they are hosted on is extremely familiar even to highly untechnical people. So we don't think that we are creating a barrier to entry in the uh, UX of our product, um, but we recognize that it is a barrier to entry if you are expecting people to, one, touch the command line at all, you have lost a massive portion of the market, um, and if you're expecting them to ever use Nano or Vim and not a graphical config system with validations, uh, you've also lost a massive portion of the market. 
I mean, yeah, sure. But like, uh, first off, Matt, don't get, don't let the troll box uh, trigger you. They're gonna get triggered about <laughs> something. Don't, don't let them, uh, don't let them trigger you just because you said lazy. I mean, the fact is, like, it's true. I think every group here offers some sort of like pre-built option, right? So like, it's a reality. People, a lot, there are a lot of people who either don't have the time, like their time is more valuable than buying the hardware separately and putting it on there and flashing and doing all this stuff. Even if they know command line, they, they might just like their time might be more valuable and they want to just plug in a device and it be everything that they want and then they can go. Uh, so that's really not even like, that's not like a, a controversial statement. Um, them getting all butthurt about saying the word lazy is absurd. So as a person that gets trolled every time I do any of these things, uh, don't, don't let it bother you. And also don't like feel like we're attacking you in particular. You guys took your time to like make the thing. I think the biggest issue that I have and why I, you know, I reached out cause I wanted this debate. I wanted this, de not debate this conversation, right? Because I don't want to see Bitcoin lose its core fundamentals. The core fundamentals was get the tool, like the way that I see it, right? It's about, get, Bitcoin was about getting heart, like good peer-to-peer um, -peer digital cash to the world, right? And you don't do that through um, through closed source to anything. And so ever, there was never, leading up until, I mean, like in the last couple of years, um, you were either false, like if you were developing in the Bitcoin space, it was false or nothing. So, uh, and I'm starting to see a trend off of that. I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm not saying it's, you know, my node or Umbrel. Um, it's, it's a trend that I see, right? And, it, and I don't want to see that. I, I personally don't want to see that because, you know, this is, I see it as a final stand, right? Because what, why do, why does anybody why, like, like one of the things that I took away that was kind of skated around is you close source your stuff to protect your intellectual, your intellectual property, right? Or you close it off or you make it more restrictive, whatever, however you want to frame it, you make it more restrictive because VCs in, in order for you to get a good team and to have a business model and to go forth and to do the great things that we want to do, you need to have VCs to get the funding and VCs are not, don't want to invest in something that isn't proprietary of some sort, right? That, that you don't have the intellectual property that someone can just fork it. You know what, like that's the battle that we've chosen as people who are trying to develop in the Bitcoin world, we made a choice. And the choice that we made was to get in and to deliver tools to make people more sovereign. Like as Node, as Node, like a, you know, installer group, I don't even know what we call ourselves, but you know, like that's, that's like the realm that we went. You know, I even give less, I, I, my mindset's changed on like your guys' license and what you guys have done a lot because of what you've said and that you guys, your original thought wasn't like, we're a Bitcoin node first and all these other things. It was like, we want to host sovereign apps. And so that's a different perspective. But like, for me, it's, you know, I, I made the, I made the initial intent of, I want to help bring you know, for Ronan in particular, like I wanted to bring Dojo to as many people as possible because I believe in the project, I believe in Bitcoin, and I wanted to see these tools get to as many people as humanly possible. So my business model goes around that. I will never have, you know, there will never be a time where people cannot find the free option. You know, if they want to go and they want to buy all the stuff themselves and they want to do it themselves, great. 
if you want to buy a plug and play node, a premium one, that's awesome. If you want to buy a, uh, you know, a 3D printed case or whatever, or you want to buy some other things, like you want to pay for uh, premium support, awesome. Like we'll like we will survive. Like our our goal is not rich, is not to get rich, not to do anything, enough to sustain, and let's keep moving. Let's keep delivering the tools moving forward. Um, and so I think it's what everyone's mindset is to to start. And I'm not saying it's you, Matt. So don't take like what I'm saying is an attack on you personally, because um, it's not. It's really like it's that that mindset of like why are why are we developing in the space? And if it's to to provide a better future, um, like find a business model that works. Because the minute that we start closing things off and start making things proprietary, um, not to say that you can't protect yourself with particular license but like you the moment that we start to close everything off right is the minute that we start to get captured by vcs and we start to get captured by big corporations and everything else and that is not nothing in my perspective that's not the way that i i vision bitcoin going i don't i don't want to see a future where bitcoin is captured by vcs and mega corporations and everything else because that's what we accepted just to to, because the initial goal was to get something, you know, uh, better for the world. And then next thing you know, you're captured, you know, so that's just my personal, personal take, but I know that we wanted to talk about something next. Well, I triggered everyone. All right. All right. Sorry. <laughs> now, um, Zerko, I, I, I would just like to add one, one little thing. I, I don't agree with you about the VCs. The VCs have been financing open source and free open source projects for 30 years, and they know what it is, they know how it works, and they know very well how to do that. So I don't think having a false license is a, is a limitation for any project to be financed by VCs. Right, you just need to have, you need to have a business model to be financed by VCs or anyone who knows how to make an investment for that matter. Right, it doesn't need to be VCs, um, but people want to return. Otherwise, why are they making an investment? Otherwise, it's a it's um, a donation, which are fine. Oh, and by the way, I just want to say this because it's kind of a neat little thing that we're doing. Um, in the next version of Embassy OS, uh, there will be a donation section of each service that we offer, such that whoever developed it can add a link uh, using BTC Pay or Lightning. And so users of Embassy will be able to donate directly to the, the projects that they like. Nothing to do with what we're doing here. We're just really excited about that. helping to finance the projects that are, you know, populating our platform. So just to, to clear up, Keto, we're in agreement then that if you don't have a business model, you're, you're kind of screwed either way, correct? I mean, that was like... The whole point was that you well, need to the, the Silicon Valley oh, yeah, definition yeah, like, of a startup is a company who doesn't have a business model. So yes. most VCs finance companies without a business model. Right. And VCs, I mean, yeah, you need to obviously you need to have a business model. But um, I see this, maybe, maybe it's just what I see, right? Like I see more big VC, like big seed money. And then following it is a different license. That's just maybe a trend that I'm seeing. Maybe it's just totally not a trend and I'm just seeing what I want to see. But, um, you know, I don't know. I could just be an a-hole. I don't know. Well, I, I, I could cite a very close example to me. The guys from HA Proxy are mostly Paris-based and I know them very well. They are GPL V2 and they are heavily VC-founded. VC, uh, so, yeah. 
And yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that's not possible, but um, okay. if you have a good product, I mean, VCs will will come to you. <laughs> yes, uh, I mean for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm loving yeah, this okay. conversation. I know I know Taylor has has something he wants to say here. Let Taylor jump in. Oh yeah, so I just wanted to make two quick points. Um, sorry, Matt, I, I didn't even hear you say the word lazy. I don't know. I was responding to something in the chat. If you saw what I had said there. But like, I, I mean, I think it's a really good perspective. I've seen so many people email me and say, like, I really want to be running a, a minor device in my case. I'm sure other people have seen this too. But it's people that come and say, like, thank you so much for creating something that has given me the ability to feel like I'm participating in all of this amazing development that's going on in the Bitcoin world. And they, they, it's not about time. It's that like they, they don't have the skills, they have expertise in other areas and, but they still want to be involved and feel like they're, you know, opening channels and participating in the lightning network or using the Bitcoin privacy tools and things like that. And it's just really awesome to see. And um, th that's exactly why I, I started my note. It wasn't necessarily to make money. I, I wanted it to be sustainable so that it could make enough to, you know, fund my time and mostly, you know, keep me accountable to the people that have purchased the project, right? Like it, it, when someone purchases something, it's like, it's not about the money. It's about like, I feel like I owe them something now and I have to deliver the best experience possible to that person because they've now trusted me with their hard earned money to go buy this product. And I want to continue like supporting it and making them like as happy as possible and giving them as much uh, flexibility and power as possible to sort of um, self-host apps, although my focus has been only on the Bitcoin-related apps in the past. Um, but then, Zelko, to a point that you said, I thought it was interesting. Um, you said you wanted to get Ronan Dojo out there to as many people as possible. And I agree with that. I think we all want that. That's our goal. But I also don't necessarily know if like that is the most optimal way. And I, this is based on my experience over the past couple of years, like being open source only um, and not that I'm fully FOSS according to like the, the definition of it, but by being a, a project, especially a small one, I think there are challenges like Matt was saying with, with marketing, right? Like I'm terrible at marketing. I'll, I'll admit that now. Like, I wish I was better at it. I wish I was way better at it, but, um, I, I, I and that's why I think like sometimes getting VC funding is actually going to get you much more exposure because you're now going to have a marketing budget and be able to hire people that are good at that kind of thing and get vastly more exposure than just relying on sort of word of mouth community type engagement. So while I agree with you that I want my note in front of as many people as possible, um, I also don't think I've, looking back, I don't think I've taken an optimal approach to that. I think, I mean, probably what Umbral did was the optimal approach to getting it in front of as many people as possible. Don't focus on like flexibility exactly, focus on UI and marketing budgets and, you know, it. I mean, like I, I'll just I'll just disagree. I mean, like I, I see what your point is, but I'm gonna I would just disagree with that whole uh, take away all the user choice and make everything as simple, stupid as possible. I, I mean, there's like to an extent that that should be a thing, but I mean, if you're running your own node, I'm um, doing quotations, but you can't control anything. What like what's the point? You know, like if I can't configure things because they took away all those options because they wanted to streamline it and make it easy. If I can't add Tor bridges, right, without, you know, some sort of security level, uh, security measure, right? 
then what like what's the point like if i can't actually utilize my node the way that it want the way that i want to run it i'm not running a node like oh, 100 sorry yeah, I, I, no, I, no, I know i know that you agree with me i know I, i'm i'm just like more speaking out on it like i i 100 disagree with the fact that like how that their approach is like um they're trying to appeal to these no coiners and like okay cool but you're not your approach isn't going to to last like i'm sure that my node has had plenty of people um you know refugee over i know we're getting a lot of refugees over and it's because that that simple approach doesn't work it's not it's it's not effective right and people people want to be able to do what they want to do with their node so like their whole approach um like yeah you can have all the good marketing but if your tech sucks then you know, you're just going to be right back in the beginning. And from the reverse side, right? Like if we have good tech, whether that's like anyone here, I think everyone has really good software at the end of the day, right? If you don't run good tech, it you could have the best marketing in the world. And what's the point, right? Like you're not going to get the people that you need. You just have something that looks good. But at the end of the day, you have a really nice smelling piece of shit, you know? So um, I just, ahead. not to cut you off, Zelka, I mean, First of all, guys, I appreciate it, all of you for being here. I, I think this is the best dispatch discussion we've had so far. I mean, the freaks might have noticed that I'm just sitting back and I'm enjoying my beverage. Um, this is what dispatch is about. So I appreciate you guys and appreciate this discussion. I think this is a great push off point uh, on Zelko's last comment. Um, you know, dispatch is was kind of reactionary. The creation of dispatch was reactionary against like these like Bitcoin philosopher podcasts um, where there was like no actionable discussion at all whatsoever. Um, and an actionable aspect of what Zelko just discussed there is a scenario where there's a Bitcoin fork, specifically a contentious fork. Um, and I would like some discussion here in terms of, I mean, we can use Taproot as an example. I think it's less contentious, but how these node projects, how your implementations are going to handle a situation um, where the user, you know, like how, how do you handle a situation where the user needs to decide what they're going to run? Do you decide for them? Is your license permissive enough that they get to decide for themselves? Um, is that a security issue for Bitcoin going forward uh, if if the user does not have a choice? I just would like to, to say that uh, as we had, you know, custom scripts done by people and also distributed and I mean, obviously everyone should re read those, but uh, similar to as an alternative um, parallel Bitcoin core implementation has appeared when there was a question about if how to activate uh, Taproot. The same way with a free open source, obviously similarly licensed to Bitcoin project, um, anytime a fork can appear which can just does whatever those group of users wants to have and that's that's a solution because it will you know leap forward which is more wanted and then obviously everyone can just move to, over to that yeah so uh, i'm curious to hear like uh like keto like what's your thoughts on um how you would how you'd handle that uh that scenario say well i 
I don't think Taproot's a good example, like Matt was saying. Um, maybe there there's a potential hard fork. Um, maybe Bcash V3 or something or V8. I don't know what number we're on, but say something and um, there's a contentious split. Um, you know, moving forward, uh, what's your what's your thoughts? How, what's your actions look like? Yeah, well, well I guess if if there is a fork of Bitcoin Core tomorrow, uh, we will definitely let our users choose which one they want to go with. Um, that being said, it didn't happen yet, so it's hard to know what what, what we'll actually do in such a situation. Uh, for the in in case if the if the taproot activation uh, lock-in didn't happen uh, last week, we'll probably offer the the option to run the fork of Bitcoin Core that uh, allows for the user soft fork. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's really hard to, to know like uh, what we would do if, uh, since this situation didn't happen before. Yeah, from from my side, I can say, of course, the Raspberry Blitz being the MIT license, uh, everybody, if, if we don't offer a, a, a solution or a, the alternative, uh, anybody can just fork it, put it out there, and people can just up their resp- update their Raspberry Blitzes to those fork kind of uh, release there. So that's uh, that's the fall, fallback, and that's the freedom for everybody to do. And I think at the moment, we are at a point where every project out there will say we will provide every option to the user and that's why we are i think we are still early and 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 nobody wants to to scare off their community um but we have to play through the scenario when uh what 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 can happen so that the node project doesn't offer you something um and and then you're in a lock it locked in situation uh, is how how feasible is this uh, situation and we were talking about uh, startups uh, node projects being startups what is fair in the, in the beginning um but but i have to say I, I had a U.S. startup, uh, and and I made the I made the experience like having programmed on a on a pro, on software that I really owned, and I co-founded the company and st- and stuff. And in the end, I was uh, not that clever to, to be kicked out of the company. Um, now every founder say, "Oh, we have fifty-one percent, whatever." But there are tricks and whatever. Investors play this game longer than you, and they know exactly how to get control in the company. So. Um, yeah, and in the end, you sit there and you lost your code. And now this code is owned by somebody else. It's not longer your thing. It's no longer your baby. That's a hard feeling. So that's some for some people to consider if they, uh, as an attack vector on, on a full node project, uh, just because when you have a proprietary license that is not free and open source and, and you have an investor, this is a scenario you have to think of. And there's a lot of banks out there that have a lot of money to invest into startups. And in the end, they will love you and say, yeah, sure, you have all the freedoms. But eh, there is a control creeping in vector there. So you have to keep that in mind. And then you have, have, a, have a situation where you have a node that is targeted to newbies that are not very technically keen. You give them an easy system to use. That's why they're all there and using and a lot of people using your system. And then this come, then a critical fork comes that it's important to the direction where Bitcoin goes, privacy or, or something else. And, and then this, your startup with this bank control creep in, creeped in maybe says, no, we will not do this. 
and what choice do we have? So, and what choice do users have? And um, so, so you have to keep those kind of uh, scenarios in mind. I know they're theoretical a little bit because we're in a very early phase where this I think is not not a not imminent threat. But we want to set the roads here into the right direction. So um, this is definitely something I just want to let everybody know that's having a startup with some restrictive license. This may be not your, maybe not be your startup in the future. Um, you never know. So, so keep that in mind. Uh, and, and the freedom to fork is really something that's very, very important uh, for, for a project. So if there's a free and open source license, somebody else can always come in and say, I, I, I give you an alternative. And I just want to quickly address, because Taylor was, was talking about this business source license, um, which is this idea of, oh, it will become open source after a certain time. I think this is a good idea for some projects out there um, that not that time critical. Um, um, but especially for Bitcoin. So imagine you have a business source license that says, oh, here's our full node project. And after two years, uh, this, it will be, it will be uh, open source, so no problem. So, um, but here comes the point, there comes a fork now and you have kind of a little bit in a lock. You lost me? Oh, I'm back. Yeah, you've broken up. <laughs> okay, sorry for that. I try my internet connection here. Um, and now you have this this uh, this fork situation. And now users have just a choice to use a two years old fork. And this might not be com. You cannot update to this fork anymore because so so many things change. And I think even Umbrel did not exist. I think maybe two years ago. So so this is really um, this in two years or something. A lot of stuff can change. And um, and if you make it very short, like, oh, it's just two months or something, then why do it at all? So this is a little bit the questions I would like to inspire discussion now. How do you find the right balance there? And what are maybe really the dangers of running a full node that well, is not? Hold on, I'd like, to, I'd like to jump in and comment on the Bitcoin, you know, soft and hard fork scenarios. And because we've, we've put a lot of thought into that. And then sure, we could, I think, turn up the conversation a little if you'd like, Matt. But um, so we designed uh, Embassy OS with the principle of, you know, your computer, your software, right? Like that's the whole problem with the computing paradigm today is that you're not using your own software, right? Your phone and your laptop are just remote controls for somebody else's server and software. So uh, we, you know, have basic principles in the embassy operating system of no forced updates, right? So first of all, you install embassy OS and it comes with nothing. It's a blank operating system and you choose from the get-go what you want to install. Um, and because of that architecture, um, and because of the openness of our marketplace, which is about to become more apparent in the next release, but it is essentially open, um, anyone in the world can package um, a service for Embassy OS and make it available on a marketplace. Now, we have our marketplace, right? And we want it to be super clean and we're not gonna allow malware on there. We're only gonna put things on our marketplace that we think people in the world want to use and that are safe to use. And obviously we can't read every line of every code 
uh, written by every project that become that enters our marketplace, but we can rely on the openness of those projects, on the on the fact that they've been around for a while, you know, on the trustedness, and then provide the proper warnings to our users when they go to install a given project. Like, hey, make sure that you yourself trust this project. Like, you know, you can validate the signature that it is what you think it is, but you're still sort of installing the software at your own risk. Uh, and because of the openness of the marketplace, there is absolutely nothing that prohibits multiple Bitcoin implementations from existing side by side on the marketplace. Um, now, this almost came about in reality a few weeks ago uh, with the alternative Taproot uh, implementation. And, you know, we had some people coming into our channel being like, hey, I want to run this thing. Can I? And we were like, look, if there is demand for this, we ourselves will package it up, put it onto our marketplace apply the appropriate warnings and caveats and like, hey, if you download this, uh, here's what you're doing, here's the potential pitfalls, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but say like we didn't do that. Say like there was a, a client that somebody really wanted to use and we as a team decided that it was BS and we don't want to do it. Um, anyone on earth could go package that client up as a S9PK, which is the format that the embassy requires it to be in and submit it and say, hey, Start9, will you put this on your marketplace? And we could then say, no, we don't want that crap on our marketplace. We already said that. Uh, they could then spin up their own marketplace, since that is an open uh, protocol. And we have published the protocol spec for that. And users could actually switch to their marketplace. So in Embassy, you can choose the marketplace that you want to shop at. So if for whatever reason, we're not offering the service that you want, uh, one of our competitors can. And so we in no way control the future of the software that can be run uh, on Embassy. So uh, alternative Bitcoin clients are totally up to the users and the uh, packagers uh, and the producers of those services. Uh, we just hope to provide the most <laughs> clear and safe experience that we can to our users, which eventually, you know, if they're going to go to an alternative marketplace, uh, we're basically going to say, you know, good luck. You know, you're you're on your own, but it's your computer. Do whatever the hell you want with it. Likewise, back. So yeah, I think that's a, a great goal. However, so one problem I've had with that on the technical side, like philosophically, that's fantastic. But like on the technical side, it it just has seemed, from my perspective, trying to you know maintain things that if I wanted to easily support a different lightning or Bitcoin implementation or whatever, like they often have different art, well, more on the lightning side, I guess, but they have different like RPCs. And so it's not like a user could continue running all of the apps that they've been running if they just said, okay, I want to swap out my light lightning implementation. Right. There's more yeah. work than just like a, but a it, totally plug and play kind of thing. But, but it will, right? Embassy OS is designed to accommodate that. So we have a completely generalized, highly sophisticated dependency management system built into the operating system. So for example, I could come in today, a, a user of an embassy today could download embassy or you know plug in their embassy and install Sphinx chat by itself. They have nothing else on the machine except Sphinx. Embassy would immediately go into a dependency, you know, error situation and provide one, you know, put a blindfold on button clicks to solve the dependency issue, which would be obviously to install LND and then obviously to install Bitcoin. But then it's like, oh, Bitcoin's not synced. So there will be a different issue that displays that says, well, Sphinx isn't happy because LND isn't happy because Bitcoin isn't synced yet. 
So you need to wait until Bitcoin is synced. And all of this is presented to the user in graphical format, and it extends even to configurations. For example, let's say you wanted to install a service that required that a specific RPC call be enabled in Bitcoin Core, as in it requires a certain version of Bitcoin Core, or even a particular configuration of Bitcoin Core. So Bitcoins.com file is massive, right? And LND is only going to be happy if certain, you know, configurations are, you know, a, an expected way. In the world today, that is a .com file, that is a, you know, looking online, that is reading readmes and then getting it to work. With the OS that we've built, LND will actually tell you, it's like, hey, Bitcoin is not configured in the way that I need it to be configured. Would you like me to configure it for you? And then you click yes, and then it configures it, and then it restarts everything, and it all just works. So what I'm saying is that even if somebody were to put some crazy piece of software on the marketplace, um, it would still have to abide by this system. Now, could they, could they be malicious? Could they put something on the marketplace that says, hey, I need C Lightning when it actually needs LND? Sure, but it won't be on our marketplace because we will be vetting the things that get onto our marketplace in order to provide this seamless experience. So back to the fork issue, if there's a fork of Bitcoin Core that everyone wants to run, and we as a team, for whatever reason, have decided that we're not going to put it on our marketplace because we think it's fucking malware or something like that. But somebody else in the world goes, you know what? I'll do it. Hey, embassy users worldwide, visit my marketplace and you can get the thing. Uh, they are trusting that person, right? Not only to deliver the client that they're claiming to deliver with signature validation, but also that it has been packaged properly such that embassy OS can do its job, right? It's like packaging an app for the app store, the play store. It's like- So you basically reinvented deb packages which exist for 30 years. Reinvented the packages? Yeah, like mean? any Linux distribution handles dependencies and packages and all what you just said. Yes, such that they can be presented to a totally non-technical user through a graphical operating system. That's literally what we do as a company. So we Okay, that's we, called Ubuntu. No, 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 no. Uh, it's it's yeah. all command line all over the place. Maybe maybe let's let's ask me a question that comes back a little bit to this fork situation. Um, you, you say that um, the uh, it's a marketplace and somebody you can just switch to another marketplace. But uh, again, you always you told on your marketplace you maybe um, choose stuff. How do you make sure that the software never there's a hostile takeover of your company and you don't have a say anymore in in what's what's really getting into production? And, and somebody says no, we will block certain marketplaces. Um, because uh, we don't think that we want to protect the user or something, yeah? something like that. Normally, it comes some under some marketing pretense or so. Um, so, how will I make sure, as an embassy user, that you, as a company, never censor uh, a marketplace? Well, we're openly admitting that we're going to censor our marketplace, right? I your marketplace, I, but again, how to how to make censor that I can change to certain marketplaces that you maybe block certain. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're saying that okay? So somebody spins up an alternative marketplace, and we, in our source code, say you're not going to be able to visit this marketplace. We prevent it from happening, and because our source code is not FOSS. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, yeah, I agree with your assessment. And if that day ever comes and we find ourselves in that position, then we will reassess our licensing approach, right? I, I, 
I do when not. You, when you're see... still in a position to to make this call, then. So sorry, I just giving you a hard time to 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 pound on this because I heard a little bit similar ideas from the Umbral team, uh, or at least some people surrounding Umbral. Since every is a little bit hard to say. Yeah. Wait, did you just cut out? He definitely cut out there. Uh, yeah. So um, there's always the the question is, um, yeah, sure, you make a. Make a, everybody can install free packages, or we have a marketplace where people could, can put stuff on there, and you can change maybe even the marketplace. But again, if, if the users are not in control of the software, the company could change this in the future. And, and it's very hard then, and this is the, still the, the licensing or the censoring issue. A little bit like Apple. Apple has control over their marketplace because they're closed source. Google, instead, the Google Play Store is also not very, it's not putting everything on there. Um, and they allow you to install uh, APKs. Um, that would uh, what's nice, at least. Um, and they, they do this because Google, the Android system, is you can find an open source versions of that. So if they would completely close it down, they know they will lose their their people. Apple, again, because they are completely prioritary, they have this closed app store in the end. And you see a little bit what's, 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 how, how restrictive yes. this gets when there's big companies at, at play there. We, we couldn't agree more. All right. Like the, we, the, the team at Start9 has the exact same thoughts that you do. It's just not a problem right now. Right. So we have so many problems to solve from a technological perspective, from a marketing perspective, from a business perspective, from a hiring perspective. Like we are building, we're trying to build a business here. And I don't mean to diminish what we're trying to do by calling it a business. I'm sorry, trying, I'm sorry to cut you off, buddy, but you're trying to build a business, right? But you don't need I, to build a business that you're going to be restricting your users and re redistributing your software to make it their own. I mean, right. what's let the me, problem let me with? Let me, no, let me no, finish. No, no, that's the thing. What's the problem with having an open source, you know, license that allows you, people to fork your uh, software without uh, any liability? Okay, so listen, you missed the licensing discussion. Okay, so please re-listen to it because I answered that question an hour ago. So, however, I will sort of somewhat readdress here. But what you're saying, we agree with, recognize, and are. Uh, addressing in real time okay this is a war what's happening right now on planet earth is a war and the battles are happening on so many different fronts and we have chosen a particular place to position ourselves in this war and our license is one piece of many as our overall strategy towards producing towards winning okay and i think everyone here would define winning the same that's why we're on this call i don't think there's any disagreement here in the world that we are trying to produce we are trying to produce that world through the mechanism of a business right and I, again like i was about to say um, i don't mean to do, okay, okay you're saying we're you're fighting we're fighting a war right Hold but you're holding, the, you're holding the weapons and you're not sharing those weapons with your user. I mean, how are you going to win the war if you're the only ones holding the power? If you're not letting your users innovate on your software if they wanted to again, and, hold on. And, and distribute it. I mean, that's my only problem is we need to allow everyone oh. in the community because the community is what makes us strong. Community is strong together. All of us are together strong and we allow everyone to freely distribute, modify, and share any software that we make. We can make money, guys. We can make money. We can make money by support services. We can make money selling products, you know, Raspberry PIs, you know, branded products. But we, you know, I don't believe that we should be holding any software 
that people cannot contribute to, then they cannot redistribute on their own. Imagine if the Linux kernel was like that, where you couldn't redistribute it on your own. That's why you can't get any closed source software inside the Linux mainstream kernel because they will not allow it. The license does not allow that. Sorry, I'm full of states right now and I'm a little drunk, so keep going. And you know, if I hurt your feelings, I am sorry, not sorry. Dude, I got thick, thick skin. But listen, I've now twice tried to make a point and got inter inter interrupted at exactly the same moment, okay? So both times when I've said we are building a business, is when you have jumped in because clearly building a business is something that you are have associated with antithetical to accomplishing the ends that we are all trying to achieve. We do not believe that business as such building a business is antithetical to freedom. Okay. We are essentially, I'm not going to say we, I'm a capitalist. Okay. But I believe I, I, I use that word in the full meaning of free enterprise okay so we are doing something totally free we are not free as in foss but we are building what we want to build what we have a group have decided we're passionate about building and we are building it for all the right reasons right what we are building what we have built and what we will build are going to help in this fight in a massive way right we've already demonstrated this many people who are using the embassy today have already come in and said this is unbelievable, right? Just like, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Taylor was talking about earlier, the feedback from the, from the community, from our customers has been the, the, the fire that has kept us going. We're not making a lot of money. Are you kidding? We sell a Raspberry Pi in a box around the world. Like this is, we're not talking about, you know, Apple here. We're talking about paying the bills. We're talking about being able to keep the wheels turning while we fight for the future we're trying to build. And there are multiple ways to do that. You can do that by building a business, or you can do that by accepting donations. And if you're building a business, there's a hundred different ways that you can monetize. And so we have approached this holistically, rationally, and with great intent uh, to accomplish our goals of upending, destroying the centralized, trusted, custodial, surveillance, bullshit computing model that dominates Earth today. The fact that we have chosen to fight that fight as a business and you or others may have chosen to fight that fight as a, a foundation that accepts donations we're all fighting for the same future here and i understand that your opinion is that some of our strategic choices especially around licensing are going to come back and bite us but what i'm saying is that we are very aware of the choices that we have made and that we are open-minded not as in if you convince us we will do it but we are extremely agile. If the day ever comes when it is to our and the world's, as we see it, benefit for us to change our license, we will change our license. But as it exists today, today, we believe that our license affords us the best opportunity to contribute to the fight. We really believe that. And if, if any of you want to sidebar this afterwards and say, hey, Matt, here's... If you change your license to GPL, here's why it's going to make you better today, then we'll do it. But we haven't heard that argument. Every argument that we've heard is always about the future. It's always about the distant future. It's like, look, if you don't change your license right now, here's what's going to eventually happen to you. And I'm saying there's a lot of time between now and eventually. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, first of all, I, I like, again, I feel kind of bad. 
all not not because like we're sh- we're shitting on you, but uh, just because like I think you're you're standing up there kind of alone, and afraid um, on this uh, on this uh, you know not FOSS license, and that's uh, I- I'll say this: I at least applaud your your ability to like back your you've like obviously thought about this a lot to the point where you can back it up. So that's what I'll say to that. Um, I think that uh, I think as a whole, like as long as you, I just don't want people to get like super butthurt while we're in the conversation. Uh, Cause I, then I think as people get heated, I don't think it's a good, uh, uh, a good way to articulate your feelings. But um, I, I do, <laughs> I do want Keto's thoughts on a couple of things. Um, he said, uh, I don't know. He said code is code equals free speech. Keto, you want to take it from there? Yeah, just a quick reminder. If if code was not considered as free speech, we wouldn't have PGP in Europe 30 years ago. Uh, basically, what, what they did, uh, Paul Zimmerman did, is print out the code of PGP and send it with a physical person on an airplane to Europe because it was illegal to export cryptography from United States as code. So he exported it as free speech. And... I think this is basically where uh, cryptography and and open source cryptography comes from. Uh, in 98, 99, I was wearing a DCSS t-shirt with DVD encryption keys in the street just because it meant fuck you, uh, proprietary code and... Uh, Open source is the way to go, and I, I still believe in that. And yeah, I I mean, if closing your source code is the only business model you have, you should really reconsider the way you do your business. I mean, yeah, I, I would say uh, I've, I've seen some good comments in here um, that, you know, I think it's really easy. I think I think this is where people's like fear, right, and paranoia come in, Matt. Um, when, I mean, Bitcoin and cryptography and privacy and all those things, right? I mean, most of those things like are not about the here and now. I mean, even running the sovereign apps, right? Like, if I run Bitwarden on their server, like nothing has happened. They've ha- haven't had any leaks yet today, right? But what do we want to preach to people, right? Run that software yourself, right? Because what if it does get leaked, right? Like all of our models, I mean, like uh, particularly anything with the, where you're running something sovereign, right? Um, I wouldn't say every model that's here because I think just running a core node is different. But um, when you're talking about like, hey, like do this because one day if this happens, you're screwed, right? So um, when that paranoia sets in, right? That's like where that, I mean, it's a good mindset to have. It's a good thing to be in that mindset, right? But you got to understand where all these people are sitting here going, well, you said that your license works now, but in the future, we're going to change it. And like, I'm sure that if we had Umbrella up here, they would probably be saying the same thing, right? Because it's a lot easier to um, to appeal to like everybody. I'm like, yeah, no, we'll totally change it one day. And like, it's like, unless there's like some sort of like part in your license, like uh, I think... Uh, um, Ruth Zoll was talking about with uh, where, hey, and for like the and the opposite, like the business model, right? And like four years, 
um, and the business license and four years, like we're going to be open source, right? Um, that's, that's basically what you're trying to say that you would do if it worked in your favor. Um, but a lot of people have been saying, and I mean, it's a good point is that, yeah, it's, it's totally easy. Like once, if you got, if, if embassy and start nine blows up and becomes the next Apple, like, are you really going to like, be like, Oh yeah, no, we'll totally, now that we're really big, we'll totally change our, our license. And be like, no, we're like proprietary. We need to protect our stuff now because we don't want some other co like competitor to just come in and just take what we have. That would be the mindset, right? That would be capitalist mindset. And, I, and I'm a capitalist. Like, I think, uh, like, just to touch on that really fast, I don't think that anyone here should just be like, hey, I'm just going to, like, donate my time. And, like, you need something to be able to pay for the time that you put into a project. Um, having some sort of, like, revenue and business model Um maybe whether it's like to take on VCs or whether it's to just support yourself, you need to have some sort of business model because that's otherwise like relying on donations is, is not sustainable whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I think that's like the big question that I've seen probably seven or eight times in the chat, just kind of sitting here about like, Oh yeah, well in the future you're going to change it. But when you have all that power in the future, are you really going to change it? You know? And right. I think that's so kind of the fear of anything that's closed source. Right. So since that was in large part directed at me, I'd like to respond. Um, yep. I appreciate I appreciate our comments and they're valid concerns, right? So, you know, we very much believe in trustlessness. And so long as we have any control over our code whatsoever, there is a degree of trust in us. If not today, then, uh, you know, tomorrow, as in you're not insured against us necessarily, right? Right. We could we could choose to become evil, for instance, uh, as, as Google did. Um, but like, we are one participant in the marketplace too, right? Like this is not me. Uh, I'm not about to make an argument for why it's okay that we become evil. But what I'm saying is that the arguments being made towards me right now are that if we end up building something amazing and if everyone is using it and if we become evil, then we'll cause damage to the world. So one, there's a few ifs in that, in that chain there, but two, it, it ignores uh, the rest of the world, right? Like, um, you know, we talked earlier about competition being an essential ingredient to building better software and more open systems and, and everything. And I, and I agree um, while we are doing something complex, uh, we are not doing something impossible, clearly, right? Like I, I would bet that many people who are on this call, if so determined to, uh, could you know build a more of a kind of embassy style operating system than a Bitcoin full node. Like if you wanted to broaden your computing platforms, anyone can do it. And we would look forward to that competition. Uh, we support all the products now and we will continue to do so even if you come directly at us, uh, which you know maybe, maybe will happen, maybe it won't. Um, but that's what keeps us honest. And, you know, I don't want to trust ourselves either, right? That's where the licensing comes in is like, once you release something with an MIT license, you can't sort of go back and undo it, right? The code at that point in time is then free to use by anyone uh, on earth. And I want that insurance policy for myself. Like there will come a day when I say, look, there's too much temptation. There's too much, uh, too much attack vectors, whatever. Uh, we need to protect the code. We need to protect the future. We need to think beyond the business. 
Um, Excuse me, but this is not true. The whole point of the MIT and BSD licenses is that you can change the license at any time you want. Uh, no, what I mean is once, once, oh, well, no, no, no. What I mean is that if we release code with an MIT license, right, then we could fork it and put a proprietary license on it. What I'm saying is that the code that has the MIT license on it can never be um, closed up again, right? Like, no, it can. It can. It can. It can. It can. That's the whole point. It's a GPL license, which is uh, not allowing the to close. No, 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 not, not the MIT license. Like, what has already been released under the MIT? That's what license. I mean. That's it's what always, I'm talking about. Yeah. Under yeah. MIT. What was released? Yes, uh, but you can kind of take the code and develop it further, and your your developments that you from that Correct. moment on do can be closed. Yeah. I agree. I agree. That's what I'm saying, though, is that the code at that snap point, at that snapshot in time can never be closed up again. So like if we ever release uh, a snapshot of Embassy OS, and this has come up multiple times internally, where we were like, all right, well, why don't we just release, like we go back like, you know, four versions of Embassy OS and just let this sort of trailing uh, open uh, fossing of our previous releases. That way, um, at no point in time, is there not a sort of, uh, a, a, a FOSS instance of the technology. It's just not the cutting edge. It's just not the tip of the of the spear. That has come up multiple times uh, and is something that we have considered. So I, I, it, Zelko, it made, well, you had a comment earlier that made it sound like everybody was against Matt, but I, I don't know, I'll kind of defend him. I, I agree with a lot of what he said. I think, you know, um, the ability to take the things that you've created and, and choose to put your own license on them is definitely a good thing. I don't think um, non-FOSS licenses are inherently bad. I think a lot of net good can come from them. I don't um, necessarily believe that, you know, by choosing something else, it's necessarily a net negative. And, and like Matt said, you know, in a sense, this is kind of a war thing interests out there and, that from a number of different perspectives is almost decentralized in and of itself. Like by creating companies and by creating, you know, FOSS fully open source projects, uh, there's, there's a whole lot of different like vectors we can take to sort of expand the Bitcoin group of people in the community. Um, I, I think a lot of people are comfortable with companies and that could be an avenue for um, you know, getting Bitcoin, and obviously it's been happening, getting Bitcoin into sort of the VC-funded world and a whole lot of other worlds that are within like legacy financial institutions and just sort of continue creeping forward and taking over from that angle, as well as the free open source angle, as well as just the community people running and installing wallets on their phone that might not even, you know, be running their own node. There are so many angles that you can take to expand, um, you know, individual. Yeah and like taking control of your own finances that I don't necessarily think it's limited to just sort of the FOSS software projects. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely reasons why people would have it. I mean, uh, and I keep saying it, like, sounds like Start9, like had this like super long, you know, conversation about it. And I mean, I'm gonna, I'm going to appeal to authority and just say that was true, but like, um, cause I'm sure it was, but, um, like my, my whole thing is, is why, like what, like what's the intent? Why did you decide to, you know, go closed source and it's, or not closed source, but restrictive. Right. And the majority of the time from what I've heard and what I would assume, and I've seen from umbrella as well, is that, Oh, well, like we don't want our competition to get a leg up 
to like come and just be able to take what we got and then just get this jump start. Or like we don't want people who took a derivative from my source code and then made it better. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's just competition, right? Like at the end of the day, it's competition because if someone just forked it and then had the exact same release and then they just kept to you, say that I forked my node and I called it your node, right? And then every release that you had, I just like I just uh, took from upstream and then I pushed the, the same release and I didn't change anything unique. No one is going to go to me. No one is going to go to the exact same product and then they can go as soon as it gets exposed, right? Like maybe I'll get a few suckers that would buy it, right? But I'm really just scamming people because I've provided nothing new, right? Nothing whatsoever new. Now, the moment that I start developing and providing new things or doing things different and I've had a, now I have a, a more unique product, right? At that point, like we're different, right? Like so, the derivatives and the work that like I've put in would get paid. And if like if that's not something that we can handle, right? Something that um, as a as a software developer, if we're like, oh well, like I, I don't want anybody to ever touch what I'm doing, right? Um, then like you like you're just not you're too scared about I'm, like I'm not using you Taylor as an example, just like you're not too you're you're too scared to like get uh you know to have competition and who cares like who cares no one's going to do your code better than you no one's going to steal your user base out of nowhere like if you're that worried about a user base like that means that you don't you don't you know that you don't give a good enough product whether it's support whether it's software whether it's whatever if you're worried that someone is just going to up and leave tomorrow because uh, and like go to a forked version of you then you are like sorely mistaken like it has nothing to do with that. You like your your customers and your users, right, are directly reflective of how good your your code is. So sure. they're going to. But I think that if you're talking about like a, a fairness level of things, the, the most fair thing to do in that case would be to respect intellectual property rights and go into some sort of revenue sharing agreement where the foundation that it was based on would be would have benefited. And I think my my situation or in small like, software situations. It's in like global like economies, right? Right, I, I right. Think I mean, that, you're talking about like Apple, like yeah, I, I, the total like removal of intellectual property rights for software development for you know designs of buildings, cars, airplanes. You know, architects would be totally I mean, out of the job. Chemists. Those are like totally different things, though. Like those are like not software versus software. So like right now, but like, it's intellectual. It, it, it is. It is ideas in designs i get what you're saying i know like i get the personal uh, like your uh intellectual property like I, I get it but here here's like the difference right like say uh like say that uh apple or google decides to take run and dojo and fork it like i have agpl so you know what they need to do it needs to be agpl so now yes is it going to get bigger are people going to take it are they going to work on it they're going to do other stuff yeah and that's cool but guess what it's still open source, which is something that it would not have been. Yes, Google Dojo. Thank you, Noms. Um, it would have not have been, right, had, you know, pretend, even like MIT, they could have closed it up or whether whether or not someone could just take it. Like, think just think about it from that perspective, too. And who, like, honestly, like, I don't care if someone makes some money off of, like, the base code that I wrote, right? Like, that's that's not about it. Like if you're not able to like sustain because like sustain your work, it's not about fairness, right? It's about the, the openness and fairness of the, and the freedom that your code provides. Um, yeah. And, and but, so, sorry, 
No, no, you're good. So I was going to say, yeah, and I think that's fantastic. I think it's great. Everything about that is is awesome. And I, but I think it comes back to a person's choice to how they wanted to implement it and do that in the first place. And that's why me personally, I, I like, I, I don't like the license I chose. It was, I misunderstood distribution versus like production use. But um, I, I think that I, what I was looking for is more of a middle ground where, you know, maybe I have access to do what I want for a year or two or something. And then, you know, it goes fully open because I want it to be like at some point, if the project ended for whatever reason, not saying it is, I'm absolutely planning on continuing it for as long as possible. But yeah, or, or I mean, Matt's like bus example, right? Like if something happens, I don't want the project to totally die. But at the same time, I think um, there there's reasons companies don't want to cut off certain revenue models. And I think by keeping those revenue models open, you can still do very good things because that allows you to start, it, it allows you to generate revenue. It allows you to employ people and grow the like overall economy and then start getting things like marketing budgets that let you more broadly share the, the products that your company is creating in a way that, you know, some FOSS projects are a little bit more limited in. And all I'm saying is that I think there's different perspectives and it's not necessarily 100% good or 100% bad. And in my case, what I'm looking for most, I think is sort of some middle ground, which isn't very well defined. Um, there's only a handful of licenses out there that even allow it. And that's why I kind of want to start looking into that more and, and see what options are out there to sort of find that middle ground where you don't have to be fully closed source um, but you can you know, don't have to like close off some of the revenue models that um, you might have some attack vectors sort of against based if you want the fully open source model. But, uh, but again, again, and maybe circling all the way back to um, what what Matt was saying about Taproot and stuff, you know, things like Bitcoin must be false. Absolutely, one hundred percent, they have to be because um, it, it is part of that project, like it to become the decentralized foundation, like layer for money, it's got to be open. It has to be open. It wouldn't work if it wasn't because then you would have people that were sort of in control of it. And I, I think it's a great reason Satoshi left and a lot of other things have happened um, over the history of Bitcoin that have allowed it to be sort of as decentralized as possible, which gives it a very unique advantage over like every other shitcoin out there that, you know, people it's centralized, they're pre-mined, they like, you know, are dishonest in their marketing. Like we don't want that and we don't want to be part of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. And I think everybody has, like I said, I think everyone has uh, their, their reasons. Um, and that's why, like I pointed it out and I said, like, it depends on what your reason is. Um, and whether you can stand on two legs and like that, that was the other reason why I wanted to have all of this, knowing that not everybody has an open source license, because, you know, I think there, there's something to say about having that like one-on-one -on -one or like me or like, you know, Matt Hill sitting there dying on the hill of closed sourced, not closed source, but, you know, restrictive uh, license and, you know, being able to stand up and defend it. But it's like one thing to be on Twitter or like what Telegram or wherever you're at and you're just like, oh yeah, well, that's the choice that I made. And then it kind of ends there. Like having a long form discussion is like the only way that people can really understand. And, you know, uh, for me, like as far as like, um, you know, I, I want the code to live on and I think uh, everyone's, everyone's thought process. And it says something too about that if everyone, if like, both, both of you, right, who are, have been defending it, defending uh, the restrictive license have said, well, one day I want to make it open source. 
right? One day I would love to have it be like truly open source and whatever. One day that's going to come, right? But like that really just, it, it says that you should do it, but you have these hesitations for whatever reason. And, and you've laid out different reasons and that's fine. Um, and I know Matt laid out reasons and that's fine. But like, you got to ask yourself like, okay, like, can I do this the way that I, one day I want to, right? Because you're going to be in that same spot in five years. You're going to be right back to where you were with probably more problems because your business is bigger. And then you're going to go, well, I don't know. I don't know if I should go open source. I know I said I would one day, but not today. It's going to be tomorrow. Like, you know that you want to because you've said it multiple times right now, whether that's true or not. If you're lying to yourself, that's okay. But like, hey, you, you've, you know that like the code needs to live on. You know that it, it appeals to the, um, the core ethos of Bitcoin and like the decentralized nature of everything. Right. But you have to, uh, you have to really like accept that, accept that like you're like continuing to push it to the future isn't, isn't necessarily going to change anything. And, um, you know, that it's just something to think on. I'm not sitting here saying like, you know, you're wrong or whatever. Um, I think everyone has their reasons. Uh, I personally just disagree. Um, I disagree with the idea of, of closing my stuff down. Cause I, I don't really care. Like, if my code got forked and more people use it, and that's that's fucking cool, then I can retire happy. Um, but just, uh, just to address some person's questions, do any of the speakers believe any IP should exist at all? I don't believe any IP should exist at all. I I think it's a construct, like like Om said in the chat, uh, and any true should not exist. It's just totally stupid. <laughs> communist yeah may, maybe to to add that i think something like trademarks is okay um at least the compromise that i can see value in for example linux as far as i tried to read up on the history in the beginning linux was saying yeah it's just okay but then were people trying to uh give false intention under that name to to so so there was even then the linux foundation taking this trademark and this is linux is a trademark and they make even money to some certain degree uh at least to have some trademarking but the code itself to have property uh ip intellectual property on code and stuff yeah that's also a very sketchy thing so guys i mean this has been a great conversation so far uh before we wrap up i mean do we want to talk about hardware trade-offs at all uh, i think that's a pretty important aspect of um how users decide, you know, which nodes they want to run as well. Yeah, but I have one topic, maybe because we have everybody in the room. This hit us to um, the, the question about migration between nodes. So I think it's perfectly fine if somebody starts off with a, with, with an easy-to-use node and what's maybe best tailored to get into the space. Uh, but of course, people, the freedom to choose, and, and it's also then let the market decide a little bit, so make it easy for people to, to switch projects, maybe take their blockchain with it, take their channels with them, all those, those kind of things, and additional apps maybe that have data. There's also the other app on the other a project that can can support or something. So um, just as an example, Raspberry Blitz introduced with the latest version 1.7, um, the migration features so that you can turn uh, a MyNode or an Umbral into a Raspberry Blitz. So not everything, the additional app, apps not, uh, but the um, block, you can reuse the blockchain and you can take your channels, your L&D channel.
to your uh, Raspberry Blitz L&D then. This was for me after having this discussion with Umbral on Twitter and stuff, uh, and, and uh, it was, was for me at least the, the, the very important to offer the option to people if they want to change to make it easier to change and to reduce even this lock-in situation. And I even think it's a service to to other projects to so 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 they can say, look, we're not completely locked in. You can migrate here. We, we have this option for you available at, 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 at this recent version and stuff. So I just wanted to ask, we have my note in, in the room. How do you feel about Raspberry Blitz offering a migration? Would you, would you build it even the other way around so that people can migrate from Raspberry Blitz to my note? How do you feel about it? Uh yeah, I mean, I'm totally fine with that. Like offering projects that help, you know, migrate and let users switch between the various platforms. I think that's fantastic. We've got, we don't have a, a tool, but we have like the the instructions on how to migrate blockchain data, not necessarily the LND channels yet, but the blockchain data from any node or, you know, whether it's a different node or it's just running Bitcoin Core on your computer, it's, it's very easy to enable that migration. And like you said, yeah, that, the app data would be a lot more difficult to get across the board. But I think what I've seen in users talking with me, the, the biggest thing they care about is actually the blockchain data because, you know, most people want to avoid re-downloading the blockchain and that taking three, four, five days or whatever and uh, potentially using up data caps. Um, so yep. they, they kind of want that problem so that they can switch and try things out easier. That might be the case right now that the blockchain data is people's biggest concern. But if if we have a high fee environment, a sustained high fee environment, which I still expect yeah. us to have, even though the mempools keep clearing, um, it could get very expensive for people to have to close lightning channels in migration. So it, yeah. to be able to, to to be able to pull your channels to a different project, uh, to a different implementation is extremely important because that could be a major lock-in cost, right? That could end up costing people, you know, hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars to uh, transition. Yeah, we definitely need to be able to migrate the same, uh, between the same kind of lightning nodes. The even, people even do want to migrate between different lightning implementations, which is not currently possible, but even that should be something which is available for people. So definitely, the blockchain is, you know, you can download it at any time, but you cannot open channels for free. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that's a really good point about migrating the channels, but even more, what I've seen more often regarding that is, you know, like data corruption on a drive, like somebody's power goes out and then, well, you know, there's some corruption and they've got to restore. Like, I think Lightning has, that, that's sort of I, the biggest negative that I've seen lately. It's, it's when something goes wrong and you know that database gets created, you can get your funds back, but it means closing all your channels and reopening funds. So I, I think, um, I don't know, I, this is a totally different top, topic, but it would be awesome if there were like better ways in the future to recover lightning channels. Because yeah, my, it's a migration problem, but um, the exact same problem is also just a you know um, data corruption problem and having to restore your, your lightning node somewhere else incurs the exact same set of costs, which like, in the future, I think will be far higher than it is today. I mean, even, you know, a couple months ago, it would have been pretty extreme to reopen, you know, uh, 10 channels, 15 channels, whatever people have, that can definitely be um, an expensive thing to have happen to them. Oh yeah, no, no we, what Bruto was building like for Umbrella, it's working already and with like minor experimental as well. I mean, it's just a script, you know, uh, that, you can take the data, the LND channel database and the actual wallet file and just, you know, copy it over. 
because we're running the same architecture even you know it's it's quite the same software lnd so it, it's portable like that so this is not about like backup and restore kind of thing this is about uh, changing the software all around lnd yeah yeah I'm, I'm just saying the alternative to the the automated script backup is the same as the recovery which incurs high costs but yeah i'm, I'm totally on board with scripts that can help migrate um because it, 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 data between nodes yeah, it obviously could be two ways. Like you know, you could you could offer to migrate from other uh, node implementations as well if people want to ch want to change. Yeah, I mean, I think that'd be fantastic. I'd love to. I, I've heard about it, but I haven't taken a look. I'd like to go take a look and help out and see if there's anything I can do to help make it more robust between the various node implementations. Excellent, Taylor. We would help you, but we can't. Uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. You can't like, what? what? Bad license joke? Never mind. Um, no, 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 no lightning or running. You can. No, no, you're allowed to. Like, no, you can. I swear to God. <laughs> My bad. I'm just, I'm just messing with you today. Um, I, I think as the only non-lightning, uh, non-lightning node in the channel. Uh, yeah. I just, I, I also, um, we've been working on migration as well, uh, from Umbrella and uh, and My Node for our users. Um, Particularly, I mean, we have a, obviously we support Dojo. We have a ton of people that want to, uh, they want a dedicated device for their Dojo. So we get, that is something that like Woe's been working on and um, he's actually finished. He's just, we just need testers. So uh, I did spin up a, a Raspberry Blitz though. So shout out to you guys. Uh, I'll be testing that when I come back, but I think we should be having that. I think that it should be, something easy i mean like the users have already already you know download and verify the blockchain so um having it easy to transport that ibd is a is definitely a nice thing to have for all the users but something tells me that umbrella probably won't do that um but that's okay that's cool um i do want to talk about the hardware differences though since uh many what everybody is RPI four except for me and I mean we support RPI four, but me and uh, Keto Miner were the only ones that our main flagship is not a Raspberry Pi. So hardware trade offs. Should I start? Yeah, sure. Hardware guy, go for it. So two things: the the Raspberry. Raspberry Pi doesn't have an open source firmware and it runs everything on top of a Microsoft owned hypervisor. That's one reason we don't use Raspberry Pi. The other one is historically when we started, uh, the Raspberry Pi was underpowered and the, the ROG 64 board we have chosen to build our devices was much more powerful than the Raspberry Pi, it had more memory and more CPU. Yeah, I mean the CPU is massive. Like I don't think people realize how like like everyone talks about the RAM, you know, like, oh, there's an eight gig RAM on Raspberry Pi now. And it's like that's not the like I don't know. That's that's my I've noticed better speed, better um performance with the uh six CPU, right? Than than what um I think it's six. Well then what uh what's called than what the Raspberry Pi four has. I mean it works, it's just Definitely not. Yeah, I, I mean, if you want any fully open source uh, ARM-based processor today, you go with the RK3399, which we both use. Yeah, 
The oh the the rock chip. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh I'm pretty happy with it. What and, about yeah. what about physical security? I think uh the Noddle currently is the only one offering out of the box uh kill switch, uh full disk encryption. Yeah, well well to be honest, it's more of a gimmick than anything else because uh the the memory attack that we are pre- trying to protect against is based on uh, memory that can be physically removed from a machine. So um, well, what, what happened is if you take a memory module from a PC, if you freeze it, you can put it in another PC and reread the keys from that memory. But in our devices, uh, and I'm speaking for all of us here, uh, the memory is soldered to the to the board. So anyway, if you want to freeze the memory and unsolder it to transfer it to an, another board, you will unfreeze it anyway. So yeah, it, it, it's a nice to have, but it's not something really mandatory. It's re, it's, it's really uh, a hardware gaming. But yeah, we we have that. It it, it m- applies more if you plug in a cold card in a HSM mode, for example. Uh, because it will also kill the power to the HSM, so the the keys from your cold card will be disabled when someone opens the physical case. Hey, uh, Kido, I just want to let you know that you're a nerd. Just, that's all. Um, and, I mean, it would behoove me to mention, I believe Raspberry Blitz has a separate strategy where all the individual portions are encrypted rather than full disk encryption, and I believe the case that they offer one of the cases they offer requires you to unplug the power to open the case, um, which is a um, kind of like a brute force, a mechanism way to, to do a kill switch without a kill switch. What about the idea of redundant drives for running a lightning routing node? How important is that? I, I feel like, it, it is really under discussed. I know the Noddle Dojo comes with that out of the box. Sorry, guys. This is a this is your guys' conversation. They're uh, my node or S nine. You're talking about what did you say? Redundant drives for LD? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the the Noddle Dojo has has two SSDs that mirror each other. Ah, got you. Yeah, so um, we are targeting that for later this year, but no, we don't. We don't offer it right now. So you know, our initial hardware approach was fast, furious, and a little bit reckless. Uh, admittedly, it was a mistake the way that we launched the embassy. Um, we put a lot more effort into the software than thought into the hardware. So we launched with a micro SD, which is basically running everything and you create manual backups by inserting a thumb drive. So almost all of our hardware woes uh, are being rectified in 030, which is coming uh, next month. So um, RAID is coming in October, is the latest uh, feedback that we've gotten from the McClellan brothers, who are really the force behind everything Embassy OS and Bitcoin. So what I would really like to point out is that the another one which has only one drive actually allows you to build a RAID uh, mirroring if you plug in an external uh, SSD. 
it's uh, configured to be so like the, the internal SSD is actually a one drive mirror composed of only one drive. And if you plug an external hard drive, you can uh, set up the mirroring uh, to any of our device. Yeah, quickly from the Raspberry Blitz, there is uh, a BuddyRFS support experimental in there for some versions now uh, that allows you to set up a RAID. The only thing is really it's uh, it's, it's hard to advise uh, that you put directly two SSDs to a Raspberry Pi because of the power situation. Uh, so you end up maybe having more problems because maybe power cuts out or something. So you can do it experimentally at the moment if you add a second drive with a with a additional power supply. This is why, because it's a little bit more complicated setup that's not easy to use. It's not what we recommend at the moment by default. It's more for the people that know what they're doing. And uh, and OpenOMS is experimenting a little bit with ZFS uh, on TrueNAS setup. So, so there is some, at least we are on the topic, uh, but we haven't found a sweet spot yet to really recommend it to everybody. Everybody. Awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, so I mean, yeah. Oh, hold on, hit us up. Now, yeah. So we're also uh, for Ronan Dojo. We'll be working. We'll be implementing the uh, raid and uh, and Luke's encryption as well. I mean, I know we don't have the uh, what's called the lightning to have to worry about the channels and whatnot. But um, as far as ensuring that your data doesn't get corrupted and then having to redo everything else that you're doing. And resyncing all of your dojo and everything else and, and to include obviously your whirlpool instance running in the event that a drive goes down um we have that uh that should be in by october as well so uh we're pretty excited to have that full stack support but okay awesome um so so uh, yeah i mean you definitely uh cut out a lot of the concerns if you just don't have lightning because uh, lightning backups are a major issue um, I just want to thank you guys. I mean, we're hitting the three hour point. Uh, this is a very important conversation and I appreciate you all coming on here. I mean, we know one of the major node projects did not come on here. So I appreciate you guys coming on here for this, uh, no holds barred discussion. Uh, very important discussion. Uh, I want to thank you guys a ton for coming on. Um, before we wrap up, I guess just final thoughts. We'll just go, um, from left to right, starting with Rootsol. Uh, yeah, so um, well, maybe to wrap up, um, at the moment, the recipe blitz, because we're talking about what you know to choose, the recipe blitz at the moment still likes you to use the terminal, terminal a bit. So if you're not completely feel comfortable with that, uh, maybe some other node projects are still maybe a choice for you. But in the end, uh, it gives you a lot of uh, options on the terminal, a lot of early stuff to try out. So it's for the tinkerers a bit, for the people that like to concentrate on, on run, running a routing node at home. Um, and, but, but there will be, and this is what we're working on uh, with the 1.8 release, there will be a web UI also on top. So this should be then more easily for people to use that are not that familiar with Terminal. The Terminal will always be available. And we also like to people encourage on their journey later on to jump in there and, uh, and kind of gain their skills, level up a bit on their skills. Um, but we may we will make it more um, more easy to use. So if you're thinking about having an Umbrel or a MyNote, for example, there's already the migration features. Um, and um, if you really like to have a web UI, maybe wait for the 1.8 uh, or 1.81 when you really want to have all the kinks worked out. Um, then maybe this could be an option for you to continue your journey and maybe migrate to a Raspberry Blitz. Thank you, Rutzal. Taylor, final comments? 
Yeah, uh, I just want to say thanks for having me on. This was a fantastic discussion. Um, I was really glad to be a part of it. Um, I'm looking forward to, you know, expanding my node users and continuing to provide, you know, great services for them and expanding the number of apps. So if anybody has uh, ideas for features they want implemented, you know, just hop on our GitHub or send me an email or follow us on Twitter. Um, and I look forward to continuing, you know, onboarding as many Bitcoiners as possible. Thank you, Taylor. Zelko. Yeah, I, uh, I had a great time. I honestly was, uh, I'm really happy that we got everybody in here. I, I do uh, really wish that Umbrella was here. Um, not not just because, uh, you know, of everything that happened on Twitter. I I personally would have wanted it because I think that like just, it, like everyone here owes it to their users. Um, we owe it to our users to explain our, our positions and why we do what we do. Uh, so, uh I am glad. Thank you all for, for actually like participating in this. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot of different stuff and, um, and I definitely, I respect everybody's project. I'm glad that we're all building tools towards the future. Um, we're all trying to make something good, which is awesome. Uh, the only shout out that I got for my team is uh, we do have a brand new web design that's coming out, uh, web UI 2.0, um, hopefully by, uh, by October as well. Uh, we're going to have, it's, I want to say it's like a cypherpunk version of uh, of Umbrella's nice, pretty UI. So they better watch themselves. Um, so excited about that. And uh, and yeah, if you're looking to run Whirlpool, or you're looking to run your dojo, and you know the most stable one you got, go ahead and uh, uh, head us up in Telegram or uh, just download our code. Awesome. Thanks, Elko. Keto. Final thoughts. So f first of all, I'm very happy to have talked with all of you guys. Uh, some of them. It was the first one, so I, I hope we have some more talks after that. Uh, second thing, we just onboarded our first Nodo employee, which is our support person, uh, and I hope our support level will improve from now on a lot. And uh, last thing is, uh, after Jack's announcement about El Salvador, we started working about a very new product, which will be our first free, as in free beer um, product. And I'm really hoping it will help emerging countries to move to Bitcoin. And it's a really personal thing and I hope it will, it will work. Well, that's awesome. Thank you, Keto. Open arms, final thoughts. Yes, so um, I, I just would like to mention the project joint inbox which is I, I i didn't speak about because it's not really a full node project because it runs with a pruned chain if uh, just running standalone it's more like a part of the rasperblitz but it's made made to it's made it's basically a wraparound drone market to to be able to start it quick and if it's running alone then it helps you to um download the long chain and install join market and just you know get going Terminal, terminal usage, SSH, at least necessary. So, um, yeah, that's something I, I, I will, you know, continue to develop alongside and inside of, of just the Respublitz as well. Otherwise, yeah, thank you. It was a fantastic occasion. Uh, respect to all the work you do. And, you know, it, it was a pleasure to speak to you all. So thanks, thanks very much. Thank you, Open Arms. Matt, final thoughts? Yep. Uh, thanks, everyone. I had a great time. Um, you know, I didn't know what to expect coming in here. Uh, I definitely did not feel attacked in any way. I think that everybody's 
um, we'll call them arguments that were made against uh, one or more of the decisions that we have made as a company are valid, uh, will be taken seriously. And um, there's an open line of communication for everyone here, uh, to me and to the rest of the team. Uh, there are eight of us here now, um, and we are all uh, very, very passionate about what we are doing, and we are serious when we say um, that we're out to to create the same future that you all are. So um, hopefully we make good decisions along the way, and we will always try to make better ones as we go. And um, yeah, thank you awesome. all. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Awesome. I want to thank uh, all the Node projects, uh, the contributors who have joined us today for their time. Um, open discussion in this space is extremely important. This is why we dispatch. Uh, this is why this project was started in the first place. Um, I want to encourage the freaks to run their own nodes and use their own nodes and play with these projects. Um, it's 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 absolutely important uh, to to just get your get your get your hands dirty. It's not as difficult as you think it is. Um, I want to thank all the ride or die freaks in the chat. Uh, for joining us for another dispatch and joining us for all the other dispatches. I want to thank everyone for supporting the show and keeping it ad free. Uh, just a reminder, um, all the archives are available at citadeldispatch.com. You can support the show there. We have a Sphinx tribe, a very active discussion um, surrounding Bitcoin over on Sphinx, um, where you can also support the show. Um, if you if you just want to go on your favorite podcast app, you can search Citadel Dispatch in any of the popular podcast apps as well to subscribe. I want to remind everyone that we have gone 26 Bitcoin Tuesdays in a row. I appreciate you all for joining me on this. Um, but next week I will be off grid. So we will be skipping a week and we will be joining back for another Bitcoin Tuesday the week after that. Um, I need a little bit of R&R &R, um, and I appreciate you all. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Matt. It has been incredible. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, brother. Thank you. The parallel paradox. Call it the doxalil. Waking up, I check the price of Bitcoin. Scrolling on down through the shit coins. Hot damn, I'm up 20 bands. Blessings once again, like ooh, 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 ooh. My account's at an all time high. When big bulls are make bearers die. Milky bar, so the price is gonna fly away. Today, today, I pray Got my bags packed, who you wish you had that? Try to tell the normies they ain't listen How they sad, sad Big BTC, Lil Bro E, GRT I've been telling y'all to grab that Bought Link, I ain't even do no research Carry round bags so heavy that my knees hurt Please sir, this is for my family I've been buying daily for prosperity Okay, you got your suicide stack All in Bitcoin, I don't need no cash Fuck cock bucks, they suck I don't wanna pay stub You can keep the cash I'ma stack until that day come Lambo, moonshot I believe since day one Elon finna pump this shit to Mars No need to say none If you been on the sidelines Homo when it's my time Jumping on you fast here Hold my bags and watch them decline Waking up, I check the price of Bitcoin Scrolling on down through the shit coins Hot damn, I'm up 20 bands Lessons once again like ooh, 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 ooh. My account's at an all-time high When big bull taught in Paris
price is gonna fly away Today, today I pray Shout out all the homies who just stack and stack Marty Bent, Matt Odell, Mr. Swan and Max Every fellow OG on CT Loom Dart, R&R, Loops and Kobe If you don't know me, this is wrong Hands only have fun staying poor If you capitulate, homie I could never do that Hardly ever go flat Small ting won't do Full send it for ham cat I'm long with a whole stack I'm giga brain bull chat Okay, here's what happened before the IRS mad I went football taught and the bad rest died It sounds tall tales but it's no lie See, I lost all my money in the exchange hack In a boating accident that happened after that Plus I'm down a couple racks from when I bought Zcash It's okay, I'll write it off, whatever helps the tax, yeah Waking up, I check the price of Bitcoin Scrolling on down through the shit coins Hot damn, another 20 bands Blessings once again, like ooh, 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 ooh My account's at an all-time high Went big bull tar, make bearers die Eat milky bars, so the price went and flew away But that was yesterday For those of you keeping track at home, that was our first time we've done a repeat track to end out Dispatch. That guy's a real freak, Captain Youth. Track is called Bitcoin. You can follow him on Twitter, LCaptainYouth. Um, we have to support our Bitcoin artists. The dream of Dispatch is to tend every Dispatch with a, a proper Bitcoin track. I love you all. I'll see you on RHR on Thursday. Uh, even though I'll be off grid. We will still make RHR happen next week. Just no dispatch because it's harder for me to do a live stream than it is for me to just make RHR work. Uh, love you all. Stay humble. Stack sats.